back indeed, episode number 44, Rasball Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Uh, I'm super excited for a lot of reasons for this pod. One, uh, I finally figured out how to get my intro music back into the pod, so um, that's going to be all good. But uh, more importantly, uh, my guest tonight, um, Eric Jenicky, man, you know, <laughs> I'm like really excited for you guys to get to know him, you know, to hear his thoughts. Like we just did two drafts together. We've been messaging back and forth uh, all through the wee hours of the night. Um, you know, before I introduce him, let me just give you a little background on him. Uh, he's he's one of the OGs in the in the fantasy community. Um, he you know he's been playing for decades, probably over twenty years. Uh, spreadsheet God, I, I bow down at the altar to him every night when I before I go to bed, I pray and give my thanks. If you guys know anything about like the high stakes NFBC streets, um, Eric Wong is like the goat. You know he's the Hall of Famer, you know, money leader, and freaking Eric Jenicky is basically his conciliary. You know, he's the Scottie Pippen to Eric Wong to Michael Jordan. So uh, the resume speaks for itself. You know, last year in the draft champion streets on NFBC, he had multiple teams. Um, yeah, there was a seventh place finish, 13, 14. Uh, there were probably, I think, like three or four down down the row. So he's got the skills. Um I mean, man, super excited. So, yo, Eric, what's going on, my man? Well, pleasure to be here. Thank you for the kind intro. Um, yeah, it probably gave me a little too much credit. I'd say if Eric Wong's the Michael Jordan of uh, high-stakes season-long fantasy basketball, I'm probably the Will Purdue. You know, he's probably made 250000 you know, <laughs> play-in, and I probably made ten. Uh, you know. But to be fair, I've only actually tried to play a couple of years. Um, but yeah, you know, I have been playing for a long time, probably since the yeah, you know, mid nineties. Um, first couple fantasy leagues I was doing, I was, you know, we were scoring them ourselves, you know, out of the newspaper. These sites weren't even around yet. Um, and then, yeah, you know, probably most people know me as, uh, you know, Eric Wong's friend, um, but, you know, the last couple of years, I've actually put in the time and, you know, entered a significant amount of teams. So I'm trying to be a little bit more active myself, um, you know, instead of kind of just, you know, making spreadsheets with Eric Wong, talking through some, you know, decisions or rankings or something like that. But, you know, certainly working with him has, you know, improved my game a lot over the years. Yeah, um, no, for sure. Um, no, sorry. Go ahead. You're going to. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I could say a lot about Eric Wong. I mean, if people don't know him, I don't know who the audience is. If this is basketball people, really, or basketball people. Um, but you know, if anybody's looking to get good at fantasy basketball and doesn't want to do a lot of work, uh, Eric Wong, my good friend, does put out a guide most years. Um, you know, he's on RotoEvil.com. I guess some people find that to be a little difficult to find. He also writes for the Athletic now. Um, he's, I believe they have him as the lead fan at the athletic, um, you're not going to find, you know, a better, you know, fantasy guru than Eric Wong. Right. So that would be my number one suggestion. You know, I'm sure we're going to talk about how, you know, what I do, how I get ready for fantasy leagues. My first suggestion would probably be if you don't have time for any of this, or you're not good at math or spreadsheets, or you're not an NBA fan, just find Eric Wong's, uh, you know, God, sign up for that because I'm pretty sure if you follow his rankings, you'll win your friends and family leagues. No problem. I don't know if you'll win the high stakes leagues without putting in a lot of work, but you'll definitely win 
casual leagues. Yeah, no, Absolutely. for sure. Hey, so so let's kind of dive into that. So how did you befriend Eric Wong, and how did you become his consigliere? <laughs> yeah, so that's a good question. So, you know, like I said, I've been playing fantasy for a long time. So, you know, like anybody else who plays fantasy sports, you know, you're always looking for, you know, some expert or some guy with really good takes or helpful advice. Um, and I had kind of got to the point, you know, where I was getting pretty effective at spreadsheets, right? Like, you know, I was probably 13 years old, try, you know, thinking about this, you know, how could I make a ranking system where a point is equal to a rebound, is equal to assist, is equal to a steal, to a block? But I didn't know anything about Z-score or anything like that, for example. I remember trying to talk to, you know, my dad. He's And he's like, oh, you know, you could use Excel, you know, and you could make like a point, you know, plus a rebound times 1.5, you know. So I kind of got just messing around with that. My dad says he was thinking like, you know, oh, he's just a little kid. He'll never figure out how to use this. And sure enough, before, you know, the end of the day, I probably had the whole NBA imported mm -hmm. into that thing. Around nice. with well, numbers. Uh, well, what, is, what is your what is your dad do? Well, my dad's a, he's a medical doctor. Okay. Uh, so, he, yeah, he's a, an early adopter of technology. We, we had computers, like, my dad's first computer, I, you know, it didn't even come assembled. He's sitting there on the floor of our you know, living room assembling that thing for, like, four nice. days. So he's into technology and stuff okay. like that. But yeah, he got a little bit more sophisticated with the spreadsheets and just math in general and stuff like that. I was really looking for just a set of projections you know, kind of so I could do some, you know, Z-score stuff. And, yeah. um, you know, so I'm, I'm looking around for just somebody that can, you know, put out a decent set of projections. And, you know, I think probably more so, um, you know, 15 years ago, whenever I met Eric, I think it was 15, 10, 15 years ago, uh, there wasn't a lot of great content online. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. You're looking at like the ESPN, just like computerized, like default projections or Yahoo. And I mean, that stuff, like we just did the NFBKC's first draft. And I think that had Russell Westbrook at 25, for example. <laughs> you know, you're involved with that stuff. You're really, you know, up the creek without a paddle. And then I found, I just found rotoevil.com. Um, and, you know, I was pretty into it that year. I was doing my own rankings and... This guy had some pretty, you know, similar stuff to what I was doing. You know, he kind of recognized that, you know, these free throw, you know, guys who are shooting, you know, I can't remember if it was Shaq or Dwight Howe, one of those guys who gets the line like 12 times a game, shoots like 53%. I mean, a lot of people were just ranking them in the top five at the time. Right. And any good player, you know, he just knows that those guys will sink your team. I mean, you know, if it's, if it's bad enough. And if there's elite options, you don't want those guys that early in the draft. And Wong had these guys in like the 30s or 40s, right? That was kind of more what I was thinking. So, I, you know, his projections were not like that well fleshed out. Like he didn't have like, you know, field goals attempted, field goals made, the stuff I really needed to do my spreadsheet stuff yeah. that I wanted to do. So I just kind of started messaging him. And I said, hey, you know, do you do that stuff and just not post it? Or, you know, you have that on the back. So, hey, you know, I... Uh, you know, I know my name's Eric, you know, I'm, I've been playing for a long time. 
I'd just like to introduce myself. I really like your content and your rankings and what you're doing. I was like, I just already have a lot of respect for your style and your takes. Um, you know, and we got talking. You know, he wasn't really a math guy at the time or a spreadsheet guy at the time. Um, and we just kind of got talking like, you know, we we're both really into fantasy basketball. And I, I think I had something to offer him as well, kind of with yeah. the spreadsheet skills. Um, and Matt, I mean, we've been talking ever since, you know, probably, I'd say 15 years. I'd have to probably ask him exactly when I met him, but something like a long time. Nice. Um, you know, and then you realize this guy's playing all these high stakes leagues. Not only that, he's winning. Um, you know, like we were texting. I mean, it's just way too modest. His website is like, oh, I do, you know, good fantasy ranks. I mean, he needs to be putting like the amount of leagues he wins yeah, and money sure. picks and stuff there and really sell that product. I mean, that would be my yeah. suggestion for him. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how I got talking to him. We get on, you know, just like this, get on Skype few times a year text stuff like that um and yeah you know just talk about how what do you think of this situation for that situation this player that player what can we be doing to have an edge what can we do to get an advantage like what's what do we need to do to go out there and beat curtis gadzowich and meet maria zaragoza <laughs> giuseppe right what do we got to do yeah. to take these guys i mean we can't just sit here and, uh, you know, just hope to win, you know, being casual, you know, we need to come up with something good and effective to take these guys down. And, you know, Wong's results probably speak for themselves, obviously. And, uh, you know, I did pretty, I did all right for myself last year too. Um, you know, which probably the most I put in a most amount of time I put into preparing in a long time. And I was happy to get the results. I think I cashed probably like eight of 11 leagues over there, you know, so I was pretty happy with that. Yeah, no, man. I mean, the results speak for themselves. Um, like I said, you know, I've been, you know, very fortunate enough to, you know, meet some of the top players, yourself included, uh, and just, you know, being able to talk to you guys and kind of see your process, you know, how you guys look at things, how you guys approach things. Uh, it's definitely made me much better. Um, you know, hopefully, you know, the results will come in, you know, as we, as I continue to play, but, um, I guess, Okay, enough about jerking off Eric Wong. Hopefully, I could get him on a, on a pod one day, and, and you know we could go through his stuff. Um, but you know, I guess I, I guess I wanted to mention that because you know when one of the top players is you know talking to you and like takes your advice and your stuff uh, into consideration, I mean that in of itself means a lot, right? That shows like the level and the kind of thought process that you have, where you know the goat is going to listen to you, right? So. I want this pod to be about you, right? And, um, you know, you said you're an OG. You know, you've been playing before, you know, what, the computer, <laughs> right? You've been playing, you know, the newspapers and stuff like that. So uh, how did you first get into fantasy? Let, let's start there, and then we'll kind of progress up the uh, the timeline. Yeah, so, you know, I was on the internet service provider Prodigy. I mean, but people these days don't even know what that is. It, it's like before america online basically it was like the big way to connect to the internet um and like you know the internet was very slow right like i remember i'd type like espn.com go downstairs make a sandwich and come up and like yeah. the nba would load you know <laughs> picture of michael jordan or something could have loaded in that time you know so it was hard it's not like now where you just look up 100 sites 
but they had these, they called them bulletin boards, you know? So I found like a NBA bulletin board, you know, I just always loved basketball, love, you know, from Massachusetts area, love Larry Bird and okay. stuff like that. And then I just found fantasy basketball bulletin board, right? I had no idea really what it was, um, but I quickly started reading about it. And then I was like, well, I can get a team and yeah. start trading players. <laughs> and I was like, I need to get in this. You okay. know, so I was messing with everybody. Um, and a lot of, I feel like at the time, the most popular format was like these simulated leagues that you okay. sometimes see. So kind of like playing like NBA Live, like simulated just because there was not Yahoo, there was not ESPN. No one was scoring the games for you. So we did have, you know, like a head-to-head league going, but it was like just some dude scoring it. And then eventually <laughs> I kind of started being that guy because okay. he didn't take too long, you know, yeah, so I'd yeah. get the news score a bunch of the game. You know, so I was like really into it and competitive just right out of the shoot. And I started winning. Nice. Um you know, we had this we had this league going on for like 20 years. Um, eventually, people kind of a lot of those people kind of dropped off and stuff like that. But, um, you know, so but then, you know, ESPN, I think, was the first one, if I remember correctly. In the first year, they charged $20 per team to just score your games. It wasn't even like a cash prize. It was like the service to. Right. have your box scores counted automatically no one was willing to do that everybody was like yeah. paying 20 right, right, right. garbage we'll just <laughs> score it ourselves um and then like shortly after that all the sites popped up yahoo and espn and cbs and it was kind of similar to how it is now um so yeah i mean i kind of got in and out of play i'm mostly casual met eric wong and he did put me up to trying some of the high stakes stuff i mean i had some success with that i i had a team i can't remember when maybe 10 years ago blake griffin's rookie year whenever that was i was big into him you know okay. uh which was a good call i mean he blew up yeah, right yeah. out of the box yeah. and uh, that was something that was on that year so that <laughs> propelled success um i don't nice. know how anybody could have in the preseason and not realized he was about to explode because that guy was a monster coming into the nba um and then yeah you know i i've played here and there some some years i just kind of prepare you know talk to eric i just do it for the love of the game but then you know i don't want to put in the time or, or energy to really manage these teams i'm busy i'm college you know stuff like that yeah. uh, and now i'm kind of circling back to it you know i'm kind of like have young young baby i'm not like going out or anything this is like perfect activity for when you're home <laughs> yeah. i'm pretty i'm pretty invested again nice. um yeah so you know hoping to have a good year that i'm going to put in a lot of teams i'm hoping to like have as many teams as you know these guys that are winning these tournaments like curtis and giuseppe and stuff like that so i'm hoping if i can match their volume i can match their success that's kind of my hope this year but yeah we should probably talk about uh you know, Racco a little bit in the, that league. Oh, that yeah, yeah. We're, no, we're definitely uh-huh. going to get to Racco. We're going to get to all these guys. No, don't worry about that. Um, you know, we're going we're, we're gonna to have fun with them. Before we get into that, though, you know, like I said, you know, like all these guys, you know, they're great guys. But like I said, I wanted to kind of focus this on you for right now. You know, get let everyone get to know you. And, you know, like, like I said, you know, like the insights and uh like that you've provided and shared with me, like they've been really helpful. They've been great. You know, I've been very... Uh, appreciative of that um so when you first started i guess i'm i'm interested so when you first started what was like 
how did you approach the game? Like, what was kind of your strategy? And then as time evolved to where you're at now, how has, how have things changed? Uh, how have they, how have they remained the same? Yeah. So good question. Yeah. So when I first started, I mean, I was, I was pretty motivated to get competitive and, you know, I kind of took over, like, I remember my first day I took over an orphan team, you know, that was terrible. Some yeah. guy just full roster up and <laughs> you know, they're like, yeah, we have a spot. You can take this horrendous right. team, you know? And like, I remember I had one good player, Reggie Miller. I did a, I, I traded him for three players and people were kind of ragging on me. They said, Oh my God, how can you trade your one good player? But in my mind, I was thinking, I am going to make so many trades. I'm actually going to like get, get to the point where I have someone good. Like I'm going to start with Reggie Miller and end up yeah. with like Charles Barkley or something like that, right. you know? So, you know, I think I just kind of, I, I was always pretty, you know, analytical and into the stats and stuff like that. Like I didn't quite understand, you know, a Z score, you know, when I was 13 years old doing this, but I was trying to kind of approximate it best I could and, you know, rank these players, you know, based on their stats. And, um, you know, I think as I, as I progressed through this, I got just way more systematic about it. Okay. Um, you know, for a while, you know, we were kind of talking about this texting. I was just really into the stats. I mean, like if somebody projected like, you know, point one, you know, ahead of another guy on a Z score, <laughs> like that guy, um, I just, I, you know, I kind of thought it, if this is what my projection says, this guy's more valuable. So I need to take him. Right. So that was a lot of the work that I was putting in was just like really honing in these projections. Um, you know, a lot of that is working with, you know, Eric Wong to just, that's just a, always been like my go-to guy to just bounce my ideas, my projections off of. So, you know, I think just, you know, sometimes I'm just using his stats and kind of like, you know, moving guys around and stuff like that. But I think what I realize happens in drafts a lot of times, you, you end up having these projections and then you're just like, but wait a minute, I want this young, exciting player <laughs> over this 32-year-old guy. Yeah. Nice projection. And you end up kind of just taking those guys. Like, I, I kind of found, like, I'm not really going off of these projections so much. So I've kind of tried to get off of that a little bit okay. um, and think more, like, who... Who ha so I've kind of shifted from going off projections to thinking who has a chance to explode, right? Because that's, I think, where you win your fantasy league. Like, you don't really necessarily even win by having the best projections. You you honestly win by getting the guy drafted in the 120s who finishes, you know, 35th overall. So I kind of started pivoting to looking more at that type of stuff. Like, who are the guys, really, who exceeds ADP? you know, value by two rounds. Like those are kind of the guys I want. I want to draft players. And this is, this is nothing new. I mean, this is stuff that other fantasy analysts and players talk about. Um, but I, if I'm picking a player, I, I want him, I want to be able to envision him finishing two rounds higher than I'm drafting. So I'm typically not drafting any, you know, really a whole lot of older players at all. I mean, unless they are just like super elite players, like, you know, I took Kevin Durant. I mean, I, I hope this isn't too crazy of a take, but I'm pretty sure Kevin Durant's going to be good at basketball this year. You know what I mean? 
that feel, you know, too risky. But like later in the draft, I'm really not trying to get, you know, players that are just only going to get worse. You know, they're past right. their peak. Uh, you're just hoping that they hang on and just meet their projections. You know, <laughs> just, Al Horford, just give me one more year. Of <laughs> just please don't play 32 games. You know, I want players that are, you know, 20 years old, 21 years old, who, you know, we might project for a little bit of growth, but honestly, you have the chance to do maybe what a DeJounte Murray did last year, just kind of go from, yeah, maybe we're projecting him in the fourth or fifth round. He's an upside guy we'd like to have. And then you, you know, you close your eyes and open them. It's February and he's what, you know, 13 on the player radar or something like that. I mean, that's how you win. Um, so I've done, I've kind of started looking into like, who are the guys that are just, exceeding expectations what are the properties of these players and how can i get them on my team um you know so i've done kind of a lot of analysis on stuff like that um so that's kind of one way that i've gotten off of just stats and stuff like that i'm also trying to think you know upside you know i'm not even necessarily trying to project what i think is going to happen all the time i'm trying to project like if things go right for this player what's it going to look like and i'm not talking like you know, Zaire Williams is going to average 29 points per game because he turns into Kobe this year, you know, but just like, what if, you know, that backup shooting guard couldn't really hack it. And, you know, he just ends up on the court for, you know, 29 minutes per game. Like what are those stats going to, I mean, so, you know, he might not necessarily do that, but I'm thinking what is a good, you know, upside scenario what's a good kind of best case scenario like uh you know higher end range of outcomes for these players um and i kind of want to rank players based on that because my thought process with this is if i get you know 15 upside players in one of these you know 25 round draft leagues um they're not all gonna hit but if three or four of them hit you know in a major way that's gonna really give me an advantage so I think what a lot of players do, which I think I've been guilty of in the past, is, you know, you try to draft solid, steady, stable, dependable veteran players like, you know, I'm just like Jimmy Butler or something like that. Um, and then what people do, you know, is they try to get upside later in the draft. I'm going to take a flyer on like Oku in the 17th round or something like that. Um, you know, what I think you want to try to do is get these young upside players all throughout the draft early middle and late um so that you just kind of have you know you have much better chance of winning the lottery if you have 10 to 15 tickets than if you have you know two or three especially if those two or three are you know after round 16 so i want my teams just littered with young players like i, I want it to basically look like a dynasty roster you know rolling out of that draft um you know, like Tyrese Maxey is a good example. Someone I picked in this most recent draft. You know, I don't think anyone's picking him to just, you know, blow the roof off the league this year. We know he's going to be good. He'll be rosterable. But then there are potential outcomes this year where he does just explode. Maybe he just gets so much better because he's a young player. Maybe, uh, you know, James Harden comes in just a little, uh, you know, partied a little too hard this summer and has to <laughs> miss 35 games. It's actually suddenly the guy with the ball in his hands. I mean, there's a 
scenario where a guy like that could just explode. But, you know, so I, I want just as many of guys like that as possible. That's kind of how I've started thinking. About nice. No, I, I love it. Um, I guess, I mean, man, I got so many questions and so many paths I could take it. I'm going to start off with this one. In terms of, so, you know, you're saying you want young guys littered all through it. So in terms of you're not really factoring draft capital as much, you're more just overall picture youth and just upside. So I guess my question, my first question would be, um, is there some semblance of floor that you want with those young guys? Or is, you know, are you drafting irrespective of that? No, definitely, definitely. I mean, maybe I should just back it up to the beginning. I mean, I am projecting these guys, okay. right? And we can kind of talk about that. We, we've been texting about it, like, you know, I think what everybody's doing. And again, actually, I, I don't know if this is what people are doing, but I mean, Z scores, right? I mean, do, I, I don't know if people even know what that is, but that's kind of how these player raters are generated. You know, your guy will be like, you know, a two in points or a one in rebounds and, that adds up to a total score. I mean, essentially, I mean, should I explain what that is? Yeah, no, yeah, game? go for it. Yeah, go. I'm yeah. sure a lot of people don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So a Z-score, I mean, you could Google this. This is nothing to do with basketball. This is like a mathematical, you know, truism. Um, you know, you, you, what essentially what these player raters are doing, what a lot of people making rankings are doing is, is these Z-scores, right? So you essentially take, let's just take one category, points, for example. You know, you take all of the players in, in the league and, and, you know, figure out what their points per game are. You're figuring out what the average player's points per game are, right? So if your league is, I don't know, say you start 144 players, you know, 12-team, you know, league or whatever, you know, the average, you know, what would be the average points per game for, um, you know, the, the player right in the middle of that? So, uh What's half of 144, man? Uh, 72. Um, was that right? I hope so. Yeah. Because you really up my math skills. I'll be bad if I couldn't get <laughs> So, you know, then what you're doing with the Z-score is figuring out how much above or below the average player your player is in points per game. And, you know, what, what you find is, you know, just things in nature – to some degree, things in basketball are distributed normally, meaning on a bell curve, you know, so, you know, the vast majority of the players are going to be right there around, you know, I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but just say like 14, 14 points, points per game. And then, you know, one standard deviation away from that would be, you know, again, I don't have the numbers right for it, but it's like 66% of the values are going to be within one standard deviation. You know, meaning two thirds of the players are going to be, um, you know, within one standard deviation of, of the mean. Right. So that's you're, you're essentially figuring out, like, you know, how elite or below average are these players? And what you'll find in the NBA is these guys scoring 30 points per game are just so much above the average player that they just really contribute to winning these categories. Right. So this is a way. What you're able to do with using these Z-scores, now I'm not sure I explained that completely clearly, but what you're able to do, the reason it's valuable, is you can set a point equal to a rebound equal to an assist, right? Because let's say the average player averages 15 points per game, but maybe the average player averages six rebounds per game. Using these Z-scores, 
you can get, you know, some common language to compare the value of a point to a rebound to an assist. Um, and you kind of have to do that, right? Because, you know, a guy getting two blocks per game is probably as valuable in that category as a guy scoring 28 points per game, right? right? So, um, you know, I'm making these Z scores based on my own projections, um, you know, or, you know, using Eric Wong's stuff. It's kind of what I do personally. And then um, that kind of like sets sets the stage for just roughly what the league's going to look like. I can just see statistically, you know, who's going to be, who's projected to be more valuable than other players. Um, you know, I've also kind of started doing some other stuff, you know, like I talked to you about making those point shares. Yeah, go on to um, that. Yeah, go on to that. I, I love yeah. it. I love it. Yeah, this is good because we're on the Rasball podcast. Yes. Um, so Rudy Gamble is a writer for Rasball Baseball. Um, so if if this is Rasball people that listen to this podcast, everybody will know him. Yeah. Um, if it's basketball people, I don't know if they would know Rudy. But at any rate, Rudy's, uh, you know, he he is a spreadsheet wizard himself. I mean, he's made some really cool sheets over there in Rasball. Uh, his war room that, you know, you can enter in, like, the draft results as you draft. I mean, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Even if you don't like baseball, I like, I don't know much about baseball or, you know, <laughs> but I'm not going to lie. I go and look at Rudy's spreadsheets and I'm yeah. like, wow, I was doing this. Um, so Rudy, and I have played it. I like fantasy baseball. I don't like baseball. I like fantasy baseball. So um, Rudy has made this, in my opinion, just a genius system. Uh, and he calls it point shares. And what he does is, you know, looks at, you know, the standings from, you know, leagues of various sizes, you know, a 12-team league, a 10-team league, an 18-team league, and he's figured out, you know, on average, how many, you know, runs equals, you know, one roto point in these leagues. How many home runs above average would your first baseman need to hit, you know, for you to expect to move up, you know, one roto point, you know, versus an average team full of completely average players. Um and I thought that was such a cool way to look at it because we're playing roto fantasy basketball. So I started kind of thinking, well, what do I care about these Z scores if I can actually look at the roto points that these guys are worth? You know, so I was like, dang, I have to do this, right? <laughs> so almost immediately, you know, I'm pretty good at spreadsheets myself. Almost immediately, I'm just getting in there, getting the National Fantasy Basketball Championship data. Um, you know, which the good players are saving. You know, like, I'll tell you right now, Wong's got that stuff saved. Uh, you know, Maria's got that stuff. Curtis got that stuff saved. And I know this because one year uh, Wong didn't get it in time. And we we're kind of asking these guys, they're like, nah, I'm not going to send that out. Sorry. <laughs> she did that, right? So, you know, I have all the data. You know, and I just, all I did is just from this past season, all the online and the main event leagues and the super leagues, you know, the really high stakes leagues, um, took all the standings from that. Um, and I think that's fine because in the NBA, we just have this trend of increasingly more three-point volume. And I think it has leveled off a little bit, but for that reason, I don't like to go back too far. So honestly, I took about five years off and I came back two years ago and I I just was not prepared for how many threes I needed to draft. Like I was stuck in like 2010. 
Um, you know, so, um, you know, I just use the most pretty recent data and that's enough leads and that's people playing for like real money. This is the online leads are what? 250 to get into them. Uh, no, yes. 150. 150 is the cheapest, I think. Yeah. Online leagues and the main event leagues are like a thousand dollar buy in. The super leagues are what, like 2005? So, I mean, this is people like no one's just spending a thousand bucks and then like abandoning their team in week two. You know what I mean? So, these are real leagues that real people are playing in. Um, so, I, I feel that that's a pretty representative, you know, data set. Not to mention, it's pretty much the same players in the NBA from last year to this year. So that's another reason to think it should translate well. So, you know, I have all that. Then I kind of like sort out what I believe to be, um, you know, an average player. I kind of just pick like based on how many players, you know, are rostered in these leagues. And you could kind of just go to like, you know, basketball monster, take that top 180 that they put up there and just like get all the stats you want off that from last season and just figure out like, what's an average, you know, forward going to do what's an average guard going to do. What's an average center going to do. Then you start figuring out how many roto points above or below the average center is, you know, Nikolai Jokic going to be in points and rebounds, assists, steals. Um, and you get you get some rankings. It ends up being pretty similar to the Z scores, you know, the rankings that everyone else are doing, but slightly different. Um, All right. And I kind of like to have something that's slightly different. Definitely. One, you just feel good. you're getting all your guys. I do kind of still view it as an evidence based way to do it. Like it makes intuitive sense that this would work. And some of the strengths of doing it with these point shares, like the example that I gave you when we were texting about this was, you know, if you get a guard, you know, that shoots 49% from the field, well, that's actually awesome. That'll really help your field goal percentage because the average guard is shooting, you know, what, 44, 46%, something like that. Yeah, maybe um, a little lower. But yeah. if your center <laughs> is that kind of sucks, Yeah. right? Like, <laughs> You know, you're kind of counting on your centers in a lot of cases to really beef up your field goal percentage. So, but if you go to Basketball Monster, you know, Zach Levine and, you know, Carl Anthony Towns, you know, whatever from two years ago when his, you know, he got to hit you better this year, but, you know, would have the same value for field goal percentage. But I know that getting Zach Levine uh, would help me you know, more in that category because um, I can slot him in at guard. It's just, it's so much better to get those, you know, out of category stats. And it's like, there's some guys that are like this, like Draymond Green. I mean, if this guy could stay on the floor, he'd just be so good because he's in four, he's a forward. He gives you, you know, eight assists for a game. Like he's stealing a half to two steals a game. I mean, how nice when you can get, get a forward that's doing that stuff because, you know, Anybody can draft a bunch of point guards, but it's rare to get a forward that's going to give you that kind of assist, right? Right. And you just know that if you need to make a round of assist, if you can get a guy who's doing that out of the forward slot, that's really going to turbocharge your efforts. Because not only are you getting his stats, but you're also getting four guards, you know, giving you assists. Um, so, you know, some guys like I, I was kind of looking at, you know, Bobby Portis is a guy I just drafted. He could give you maybe two threes a game out of the center. I mean, that's kind of nice. Yeah. Like if I find myself you know, careening towards the end of the season, I'm trailing, 
friggin' Giuseppe Racco by three roto points, <laughs> you know, and I feel like I can make up ground in threes, you know, up where Portis is in at center, you know, I'm getting these other three point words in there, and you know, I'm trying to make it work. All right. You know, you're gonna have to you, having a guard who's hey, you're gonna have to move Eric. Game, you're, you're, cutting, you're cutting in and out, Eric. You're gonna have to move spots. You were you were cutting oh, okay. in and, yeah, you were cutting All in right. and out. So you're gonna have to rewind maybe like ten seconds. Okay. Uh, yeah, so here, let me just go to a different area. So All what right. I was saying was can you hear me now? Yeah, you're good now. Yeah, so what I was saying was, you know, I I want to have these players that are giving me, you know, stats at, you know, positions that don't typically get those stats, right? Like if I can get center, that's going to give me two threes per game. That's going to help me make up ground a lot more than a guard, you know, making two threes per game because every single guard in the league makes two threes per game, right? So that just doesn't have as much value as a center who's doing that. Um, and I think that the point shares system of ranking players accurately captures that. Um, whereas I think Z scores, it just kind of treats all players as equal. Um, so that's kind of why I'm trying to get on a slightly different strategy than what most people are doing. I know it's, you know, something that Rudy Gamble from. Yeah, you cut it out now. You're gonna have to, you, just yeah, you, you're it. cutting out. You're gonna have to teleport to a to a better spot. <laughs> How we do it now, brother? Okay, so now now you're good now. Okay. Uh, let's okay, see. Yeah, sometimes. Uh, All right, there you go. Oh my. All right, yeah, you're good now. Okay, yeah, sometimes my Wi-Fi is better and sometimes my data is better. I just have to kind of toggle back and forth. Okay. I don't know why. Um, so, you know, that's one of the advantages of using these point shares. Is I think it accurately, more accurately captures, you know, the advantage of having, you know, player specific stats at different positions. Um, whereas I think the way that most people are doing rankings treats all players as equal. Right. Um, you know, but that's not how we play this game. You have to play four forwards, four guards, and two centers, and then you have two flexes. So I kind of like to have some way of capturing that. So that's something that I'm doing that I'm, I would say is probably unique. I don't think most people are doing that right now. Right. I, I got a question for you in that. Okay, so say like uh, you get in the center, you slot in the center that's giving you some threes, uh, maybe some more assists, right? But then the flip side to that, uh, the rebounds and the blocks may may decrease from inserting that player. So then, how do you, how are you going to make up or how do you approach that type of scenario? No, no that's a great question. Um, I am typically looking to get, you know, centers. I, I want my center to do things that a center should do, right? Because right. like, if I'm ever, if I'm ever blocks on my team, it has to be, you know, a center. Right. It's like unless you want to be picking up like Derek White and Patrick Beverly and playing those guys every week, um, you know, chances are you're going to get the blocks from your center position. Right. Um, so I I want I, I don't really want centers that are just going to like, y- you know, 
not rebound, not block shots and stuff like that. Just because I look at it like, where else am I going to get those stats? Right. You know, it's just yeah. like, it's not, it's not feasible. Um, but I, so I, I am looking at this as like, you know, there's kind of big man stats in fantasy, you know, field goal percentage, rebounds, blocks. Um, and then there's little man stats in fantasy, you know, steals, threes, free throw percentage. Um, and I am kind of trying to split the middle with this, right? I'm playing mostly roto. You know, I'm not building, I'm not doing like a head to head, like punt build where I just win five, four every week or anything. I, I need, I, I want to win every category. Yeah. I really, I want to have plus roto points if I can. So I want to have about split right down the middle guys getting big man stats and little man stats. Okay. Right. And, I think that what you'll see is there's a lot of players who kind of do both or contribute in kind of unique ways. Like Jaron Jackson's a guy who's kind of like that. Yeah. Like on one hand, his field goal percentage is not good. He can't seem to get more than six rebounds a game. Right. Um, those ways he's kind of like a small man, you know, he plays like, you know, like a smaller player, like a wing player. Um, but then he's also out there blocking, you know, over two, shots a game so in that big man category he is absolutely elite and then uh you know he can give you threes i guess yeah. a little bit of a down year last so he's kind of a guy who's like how wh what do you call him i mean jaron jackson i am with him. i mean i typed a game all right you cut in again do we cut out a little bit yeah a little bit like five seconds I think Are we yeah, I think you're good now. You know what it is? The okay, the information okay. the inf you know what it is, Eric? The information that you're trying to convey is too much for the universe and the cell phones to, to handle. So you're like it, it requires more bandwidth to <laughs> to, to, to travel to the masses. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's it's too big brain for my uh, internet connection right now. But yeah. Like a guy like Jaron Jackson, I do want him in at like forward just because like I cannot put a center out there who's going to shoot 42% and get six right. rebounds and in those categories. So, I mean, I almost look at him as just like he'll give me threes, he'll give me blocks, but I really do still need a big man with that team. So, I mean, like he is one of those players in this format who has forward and center eligibility, yeah. and I'm just penciling him forward and i and i'm telling myself if i pick jaron jackson i still do need a center gotcha. and now maybe i could not spend so much on a big blocks guy maybe i could get someone with you know maybe i would take like a jared allen over robert williams or something in that scenario you know just because i maybe i do need the other categories more than the blocks since i have him but yeah i'm trying to split the like i want big okay. big man stats and guard stats and I, I want that to be about 50 fit when i look at my roster at the end of the draft i want to be like all right i've got x amount of centers and power forward types and I, about 50 percent of the rest of these guys are you know point guard shooting guard small forward types that's how i'm trying to build i think that's how you have a versatile balanced team that can make a run in any category because you'll find playing roto that you're going to be close in some category like and you'll be thinking Gosh, if I just had a couple more steals, guys, I could I could get four more roto points and catch Curtis Gat. 
coach. You know, yeah. it's like that would just feel so good. But if you don't have the if you don't have the horses, you don't have the guys for it. It you know you just can't do it. So you don't want to get boxed in. You know, sometimes you look at the overall standings, and some guy will have like 800 more blocks than the next closest team. You know, he messed up drafting. Right, right? his team is all out of bounds. Those teams are always way down the standings. So I'm cognizant. I want to have I want to have extra steals, guys, blocks, guys, threes, guys. I want good percentages. I want the whole thing, but I really want it to be balanced as humanly possible. Yeah. So that's kind of how I'm approaching that. I got you. So in your experience in most of the drafts, um, do you find that uh, you need to kind of pay up more for the guards man stats, the big man stats, uh, which stats usually fall? How does that usually work out? Well, what I notice on most fantasy leagues, including NFBKC, is that you have to pay a premium for centers, right? Because okay. no, like, no one wants those guys. I know I never want to draft them. I'm always, every single round, I'm like, gosh, I have to take a center right now. It's just <laughs> brutal. Guys, I want. Um, so, and I, and I think that people are so cognizant of the fact that you need to play them and that it, some of the guys later in the draft are just not good that I just feel like they shoot up the board. Like maybe, maybe it's just me, but I, I really feel that way. I almost never want to take centers. So they go for a premium and then it's like, you have to decide what you want to do at, at that point. Like there's, there honestly is some value in locking in like a Carl Anthony towns and just having an elite option there, you know, solid and dependable and consistent. Um, you know, I almost kind of like that next group, you know, the Rudy Gobert, Robert Williams, Jared Allen types, you know, Miles Turner slid in there this draft. Um, you know, I can still like just get those nice, you know, comfortable first and second rounders, just those elite NBA players that I really want on my fantasy team. Um, and then still get a good center, but I just feel like you, you do have to pay a premium for that almost Every draft I do, I look at just the centers and I'm thinking, wow, I love all those other players around that guy more than that center. You know, so now the other thing is if I can identify any centers later in the draft that I think can, you know, get me blocks and not kill my percentages and stuff like that, maybe add half a three a game. I just I'm going to start zeroing in on them as we go on. Like Evan Mobley last year was a guy and Wendell Carter as well. I mean, both of those guys. I thought we're just going a little too late and I was just scooping them left and right and just holding out as long as I for center and Mo Bamba too. I even thought he was going too late. Um, And, you know, I had talked myself into those options and I think all, all of those guys kind of ended up working on Bobby Portis, another one. Yeah. So I I would say center the position itself. Um, I also think that steals, you know, can dry up. You know, I start looking at that board. If I miss out on a couple of steals guys, I'm thinking, man, I don't know how I'm going to, you know, make up for this. And I think, you know, the other thing I kind of told you to do is I'm trying to draft a lot of forwards and centers early because I like the guard, I like the late guards better than I like the options at other positions. So when, whenever possible, I'm taking a forward or a center over a guard and just banking on getting quality guards late. Um, I'm not sure how the board's going to, shake out this year because we have only done one draft and I don't know what the ADP is going to look like, but last year it was like Tyler Harrow, uh, Jordan Poole. I mean, these guys were 10th, 11 rounders. Um, Melton was going in the 12th, a steals guy that I was targeting. 
he kind of worked out less than the other two. But like, I was just kind of looking at it like I can have two guards roll into the 10th, 11th round and take Jordan Poole and Tyler Harrow. I'm so into that. That's just perfect. Um, so kind of the way I build my teams, I'm often looking at steals as a category where I'm like, you know, I'm like, man, I wish I took that in that third round. That would have been nice right about now. <laughs> or guys like, you know, Scott, Scotty Barnes was a pick I tilted hard because I think he'll get steals this year, and I wanted him bad in that league. But I took OG, you know, who should also be able to get me some steals. So for me, I think that – and then also sometimes – I'm not feeling so hot about assists, you know, because again, I'm kind of trying to get these later. So sometimes that means I'm passing up on some of the real elite lead guards. And sometimes I fly a little too close to the sun and miss out on, you know, all of them. Um, and then I'm kind of looking at my draft thinking, man, I should have taken Darius Garland. Like, I know he's good, but I was just kind of trying to thread the needle perfectly and, end up with good guard play anyways while passing on those. Uh, you've cut it out. I can't, I cannot hear you right now. All right, cool. You're back. Yeah. You've cut it in and out right now. You got to teleport, teleport to a different spot on the house. Are you good now? Man. Yeah. Can you hear me now? Okay. So yeah, now you're good. All right. All right. So you let, let's get into this draft that we just did. Um, first draft champions draft uh, of the season. Uh, ADP rankings were so all out of whack. So uh, we were the trendsetters in this one. Um, what were your thoughts? Well, yeah. Well, how did you approach this draft, and uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think love this first draft of the year where there's no ranks, no ADP, no nothing like. I don't know if there's any racing fans that listen to this, but I view this as like the Daytona 500. It's like the first <laughs> race of the year. It doesn't it matter. It doesn't yeah, count anymore in the standings, <laughs> but like it matters. It's like you win the Daytona 500. That matters a lot more than you win the New Hampshire Motor Speedway. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So it's like you want to win. This is like I just went in with my rankings against some of the best players out there, and I would love to come out with the win in this again because i did take it down last year so i was really happy about that um so you know i i'm i am already pretty prepared i i was you know had my eyes on these leagues you know were you know my projections are probably 250 players deep right now um you know i've whipped up some point shares um and you know i'm i've been kind of moving guys around for a little while throwing some rookies in there um can you still hear me yeah you're good perfect i can hear you okay yeah no worries Descent pork so I was... okay <laughs> yeah so you know i was kind of ready to throw my rankings out there and you know you always hope with these guys you know these you know because we're in this league with some really good players that have managed a lot of them i'm half hoping i get all my players and i'm also half hoping that these players are on the same guys as me. So that tells me that my rankings aren't just complete trash, you know? So right. I see, you know, Racco or Maria, you know, stealing my players. Part of me is kind of like, huh, man, at least they're on these guys right, too, right. you know? So yeah. it makes me feel good about your product. Um, 
So it's kind of it's a lot of fun in that regard because some of the players that we picked will shoot up the board. You know, everybody's going to see some of these names, and guys could be four or five rounds different by the time people are doing main event and online leagues. Um, so yeah, you know, I attempted to execute my usual strategy, hit the forwards and the centers hard. It didn't work out that way because I got sniped a couple times. You know, Chet <laughs> Holmgren got by Maria. Zaragozan, yeah. if, if that is your name, Maria, you know, and, uh, you know, so I had to just do a different strategy. That's where I took Jordan Poole, just I didn't like the other centers available there. Um, you know, so I did end up with more guards than I wanted. So I ended up like, you know, Booker, John Morant, Jordan Poole, Tyrese Matt. So it's like, I'm not sad about that or anything. Yeah. More comfortable just okay sorry welcome back again uh technical difficulty difficulties on my end um i actually thought that it was uh eric like teleporting too fast in his house messing up the uh, the connection but it was actually my my kid came into my room uh took my phone and i was using the hotspot and i, I didn't realize it until late so anyways lost connection but we're back um Let's rewind it a little bit. So I think you were saying uh, you were following your plan, right? You took Kevin Durant one, and mm -hmm. you had to pivot because Zaragozan um, went Chet and Paolo at the turn, and you were going to go forward, but then you had to pivot to guards right there. So I think that's where we left off. Yeah, so I'm, I am looking to take, you know, roughly two guards in the first nine rounds, clean up on those guards and those middle rounds. I just love the falling guard value in most of these drafts. Um, but yeah, if my guys get taken, I'll get right off of that. Like I wanted Chet Holmgren. I figured I could lock in some blocks right there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Zaragoza, you know, he's on <laughs> it. He put... Yeah. Not, not that I, not that I, you know, I, I, I handled it okay. You know, I was only emotionally dysregulated for about 20 minutes after that. And uh, <laughs> I pivoted back to Jordan Poole. Yeah, and I got I did end up with some really nice cards. I mean, I can't remember if I said this before, the technical difficulties, but I ended up with Booker, John Morant, Jordan Poole, and Tyrese Maxey, you know, as my top four guards. And that's that just feels very nice. Like, those are young, exciting players. You know, and you had asked earlier, do I just take young players just because they're young or am I looking for some floor with this? I mean, these are great examples of why I want young players at all stages of the draft because these guys do have enormous floors. I mean, yeah. all four players, um, Booker's a little bit older, but the other three really are still very young, um, are locked into roles. And not only that, but they really do have the potential to just totally explode. I mean... You know, if Curry or Clay Thompson um, or James Harden miss any time, I mean, Jordan Poole and Tyrese Maxey are going to just absolutely explode. And we don't, we still don't know exactly what type of players they're going to end up as. Um, I mean, Poole in particular is just, uh, he, his issue is more that he just can't defend. <laughs> you know, I think, yeah. I think he's already a pretty spectacular defensive player. Um, but these are guys that I think have, a, a very solid floor, you know, just fine at the ADP that I drafted them at. Um, and then 
if they have a month or two, you know, due to injury or rest for these veteran players, where they're the main guy, the you know, the main show in town in those backcourts, they could really blow up, you know, for that period of time. Um, so I view that as taking young players with upside that do have a, a single, like Tyrese Maxey to me. I mean, that was the safest pick probably in the whole round. I'd have to look at it. <laughs> but I still see that as a player, you know, with upside. I mean, there's almost no chance he just craps out, you know, in my opinion. Um, you might be laughing at me about this you know, a year from now if he does, but that felt like a very safe pick for me. Um, And then, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of what, what you get with these young players is the ones that get drafted earlier do have pretty significant floors, um, but they're still, you know, more exciting and have more upside than taking veterans in those rounds. Um, Because, you know, what if they just get significantly better just because he, you know, he's a 22 year old player. I mean, that happens to almost everybody. Right. Um, you know, the number of guys like Zach Levine was a guy who was, you know, pretty good for a few years. And then he turned, what, 25 and just exploded. And now he's suddenly a top fantasy option. And it's like there wasn't a whole lot of circumstance around that leap for him. It wasn't like some, you know, 25 point player left that team. It's like, no, nah, he's just a guy who went from 24 to 25 years old. And that's what happens with NBA players. Like they make a leap at some point. Um, so yeah, I mean, I want those guys just all throughout the draft. And I think the ones later, like a Zaire Williams guy took in the 20th round, he probably does have less of a floor, but you know, probably does still have up. So you never know when he's going to be good. And he's a guy who probably will get good at some point because I'm also not just taking 19 year old players. You know, I want these guys who are top rated prospects, right? So, you know, you can see how these guys, you know, were recruited coming into you know, college in the NBA, like Zyra Williams was like the number six rated prospect in his class. So I have a lot more confidence in a guy like that, you know, who's getting, you know, minutes, you know, in a good situation, who's a highly rated prospect. You know, I'm looking for athletes, you know, what's their wingspan like? How athletic are they? <laughs> what, what were they, uh, you know, ranked, you know, coming into college or the NBA? these are the guys who are going to blow up. I don't necessarily want just like an undrafted free agent, like starting, you know, or, or playing just on some terrible team. Cause I just don't think there is much of a chance of these guys becoming stars, but yeah, top draft picks maybe, or top ranked prospects with elite measurables or athleticism um, who I can just kind of see a path towards, you know, really exploding in the league. Like Trey Murphy's a guy we've been talking about a lot. Yeah. Um, He's a little bit unique because he's not a top-rated prospect, but this guy did grow like eight inches while he was in college. So I think that's why he wasn't recruited to the degree that some of these other guys were. Yeah, yeah. there's a big difference between being four and six eleven or six ten, whatever he is now. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, you want guys like that, and um, you know, because there's Trey Murphy has characteristics of a player who can just explode. He can steals. He can shoot. He's, I think they're saying he's six ten and a half now. Yep. I mean, I'm not sure that it'll happen this year. He probably needs a little bit of help, maybe like Brandon Ingram, sprained ankle here and there. But um, there, there certainly is a chance that it could be this year. A guy like that might force his way onto the floor. And I, I want my team just littered with the players. Um, you know, Jordan Poole last year, I mean, who was he? He's just some guy – 
scored 100 points in some pro-am game, and it's like showed up. He was really good in the preseason, and here we are. Now he's like a fifth, sixth-round player probably. Um, but it's like these guys, you know, you, you have to have a reason to think that they're going to be good. So I want these athletes or high, highly rated prospects or guys who, you know, maybe guys who have done it in the NBA before, like Kaminga is a guy that I don't think he'll be huge in redraft necessarily this year, but in his age 18 NBA season, he had like a month and a half or two months where he put up real numbers, you know, like he did that in the NBA, like you can't take that away from. So from my perspective, I mean, it would be very unlikely that he's 23, 24 and doing absolutely nothing in the NBA. Like if he can do it at 18, um, I mean, give him five, six years of growth and development, especially in that organization. And, you know, that's that's a guy that I, I want to be drafting almost every year for whenever it does happen. No, I, I think I, you got him. Did you get him in the redraft league? Uh, no, I, I took Moody. Somebody else took Kaminga. I was thinking about, I think the guy, he took Kaminga right before. Yeah, he took, so he took Kaminga right before. And then I took Moody right after. Um, so, you know, I was I was definitely looking at Kaminga because that was down in, like, the 20s, right? Yeah, down in the 20s. So it's like, yeah, at that point, uh, you know, you definitely want to kind of swing a little bit uh, harder for the fences. You know, right. one thing that um, I kind of wanted to interject here a little bit, and, you know, we were discussing this, and it, it's really pertinent, and I didn't really think about it, but, like, you know, it's just kind of funny how, we both ended up being Rotoviz disciples, right? Like I, yeah. I read Rotoviz all the time. I'm a huge Sean Siegel fan, and then you were mentioning him too, because you know about prospect, a breakout age, you know, measure because they're really analytical, data, data science. They, you know, they look at the college production, you know, measurables and breakout age, blah, 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 all that stuff. And so, like, you know, it was kind of cool that we were kind of uh, kindred spirits in that regard. Uh, and then I think you made a good point where, you know, in terms of uh, like what's like the, I guess, if if this happens, then this can happen, or if if ends or buts like type of scenario. So like you said, like if Harden goes down, right, then who takes that usage? Maxi probably takes that usage. Embiid will obviously get more usage, but you know, so like and, and you know, Sean Siegel, he's really good with that too, and I think that kind of correlates to his zero RB, right, because he knows that. The running back position is so fragile. So then now you want to take the lower running backs where, all right, you know, if Jonathan Taylor goes down or, you know, whatever, like Elliott goes down for San Francisco, right? You know, you know, the team loves to run. So, right. So, you know, Ty you know, Tyrion Price, they drafted in the third round, you know, college pedigree, blah, blah, blah. So like, yeah, he could get all that usage and then he could be a league winner. And like, that's what he's looking for, a league winner, right? Someone that can exceed ADP by a certain number of rounds. So, uh, I think that was pretty awesome. Um, you know, we were on the same tip on that. And, uh, you know, I guess that's like your your kind of MO, your mantra, which was very surprising to me, right? Because you were so analytical, so spreadsheet-oriented. And then when I discovered that that was kind of like you're thinking now, um, you know, so so did that come through experience? Did that come through, like, so what was the what was like the main influence of that? Yeah, I I kind of think it is, you know, experience. I think I think going off of just projections, I start, you know, you you end up kind of with like older teams with just like 
that lack the league winning upside. I mean, it's like, it's a good way to come in like fourth place. I feel like, you know, and then what I also find is just in drafts, you, you, you kind of ha- just have a sense like, all right, all these guys are in a tier, but do I want this guy who's 32 years old or, or do I want the guy entering this tier who's 23, who still has a chance to just go nuts? Um, so I kind of, you almost instinctively know, you know, who's the guy with a chance to exceed their projections. And I don't, I don't want those guys on my team. And you did, you know, we, we were kind of getting there. And yeah, Sean Siegel and Rotovis, I mean, I just love listening to that content. I'm not even playing fantasy football this year. And I still listen to all that stuff and swing by the site just because like, he's so thoughtful in the way they think through. Yeah, the zero RB thing is just genius for football. I mean, it works so well. How can I apply these principles? Yeah, the breakout age, um, you know, these prospect profiles. Uh, how can I apply what these guys are doing? Because Sean wins, too. I mean, yeah. Sean's not just writing a lot of blogs. Like, he's winning yep. dozens of leagues, making a lot of money. Um, so it's like, well, why wouldn't you listen to a guy like that? You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, um, you know, I do, I, I do think about it like that. If somebody went down... You know, who who's going to who are the players capable of taking on that usage? I know DFS people think about yeah, this. That's, that's, that's know, what think DFS about. is all about. Yeah, yeah about exactly. So, like, you know, some players and we've talked we've been texting about this, but some guys like Danny Green, for example, is like the classic one in my mind or PJ Tucker. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Uh, the star players out. These guys are never going to go out there and score 28 points. I mean, it's just right. not how they play basketball. Um, and. You know, Danny Green, I almost want the star players out there with him so his threes are open instead right. of just people hanging. Um, you know, but like Jordan Poole and Maxi are two we just talked about. Like, yeah, if, if Steph, you know, is down or Harden's down, I mean, those guys are going to be getting the ball. And, you know, there's all sorts of players. Like, I mean, I, it's kind of goofy, but I think back to even like Jared Bayless was one oh guy I talked to you about. <laughs> he never, yeah, yeah, but if enough guys went out, you look at the roster, you're like, all right, Jared Bayless is about to average 24 points per game for the next three weeks because he's just like, kind of, I don't know, almost like a like a Nate Robinson who's kind of like that too. Enough guys go out. Well, Nate Robinson will go out there and score 30 points. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're just not going to be a playoff team if that's what's <laughs> happening. But uh, for us fantasy guys, we're like, yeah, sign me up with Nate. Um so, yeah, you definitely want those guys. Like Bobby Portis is another one that I noticed. Giannis, you know, when he sprains an ankle or something. Well, suddenly Bobby Portis going out there and shooting a whole lot more. So um, I like to have those guys just where there's potential, even if it's not for the whole season. I don't need an ACL injury or something, knock something out for the whole year. But if you can get a month of someone doing that, even that's actually huge in fantasy. So I do want those guys. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, another thing that really was illuminating, and it's kind of on the same tip, uh, you know, prospect guys that or young guys that get injured, come back and they look a little rusty, you know, their their value gets a little depressed. Um, and then you were saying, yeah, man, you're all over that. You know, if they have the prospect, if they have the measurables. So the perfect example was the the Los Angeles Lakers center position right now. Uh, it's a little in flux, yeah. Damian Jones and Thomas Bryant. Um, they're both very similar players. 
And, uh, you know, so for me, like me and uh, Rocco were, were battling here because I took Jones and you know, he immediately took Brian the same round. And initially I was like, yeah, I think Jones is a starter, blah, blah, blah. And I gave my reasons. And then you were like, well, you know, I, I kind of like him. Like he looked like ass last year, but, you know, he's coming off an injury, you know, like he played well before that. You know, he's got a huge wingspan. You know, he's very athletic. He's shown that he can play in the league. And then when I kind of thought about it and dug a little bit more, yeah, he, you know, it, it makes complete sense, especially because his value uh, is the press. And, you know, it's not like Damian Jones, I think he's a solid player, but he, it's not like he's Shaq and he has a stranglehold on the position. So there's competition, right? There's, and so there's upside. And you were like, yeah, it's probably best to take them both, right, at this, because they're both going in the, the mid, what, 15 rounds. So, you know, because you just don't know, like either one could, could you know grab the job and i think that was that was really insightful um you know how you, how you were approaching that you know because of the injury and you know recency bias and you know things like that so uh kind of go into that like and you said you you know you wanted to go into more study of that but where did you first start kind of like being aware of that and and, and you know just kind of delving more into that yeah so i mean i've i have you know I'm often this time of year, just like going down some rabbit hole, like trying to answer some question in my head about how, how can I find these, you know, breakout players or just get any advantage. So I've looked at players, you know, who, who exceed ADP by two rounds and trying to find some patterns or some consistency. Like how old are they usually? Is it young guys just blowing up? Is it, you know, old guys coming, new team, new situation. Is it just mid twenties guys just getting better? Um, and yeah, one of the ones that I found was players who suffer an injury and then are able to come back during the season but play terribly. And Thomas Bryant fits that bill yeah, yeah. perfectly. <laughs> I was adding him a little bit last year and tuning in to some Washington Wizards games, and he looked awful. Um, I mean, it was like, you know, do it. Do I drop this guy like during the game? I mean, like, <laughs> you know, um, but you know, the fact that he came back last year right. tells you something else, right? So he was well enough to be on the NBA court. And I just had all off season and yeah, Thomas Bryant was a top prospect. Um, he, he has produced in the NBA, um, my memory is people were drafting him in the fifth round just like two years ago. Um, so now, I mean, I mean, how old is Thomas? Isn't he still like 25, 26, yeah, something like yeah, that? Yeah, he's very young. Yeah. You know, so he's he's a young player. He's a really talented prospect. He's done it before. He did have some injuries, but it's like he there have been players in the past with, with that exact, you know, profile that have come back and just smashed their 80. And it wouldn't be shocking if he did because he did go late. Um, you know, I think that, you know, is a good point. It's something I would say, like, if people are trying to figure out, like, how can I get good at fantasy or am I good at fantasy it would be to have multiple teams. I think that, like, I almost think about myself last year. If I had one team, I was pretty high on Michael Porter. My one team might've been a Michael Porter team and, you know, I could have just finished in fourth place and just said, well, I guess I suck at fantasy basketball. You know, that's it. I stick a fork in me. But I did like him. I took him in a couple of spots. Some of them, I still salvaged some of them. It didn't necessarily kill me. But, um, 
I certainly was happy that I didn't have 100% Michael Porter Jr. ownership last year, you know, and I think I, I think I ended up with 11 teams last year. So you can have a nice portfolio. So, I mean, I do think that that's the way to play this Lakers situation right now because, you know, the second preseason starts and we have a little or we got a statement from the coach about who's starting, you know, one of those guys is going to shoot up and one of those guys is going to shoot way down. And it's probably going to be nice to have a little of both of them, you know, around round 16, 17, wherever those guys went. Yeah, so that's kind of like, you know, one of them is going up the board, right? That's 100%. As soon as you know who's starting, that guy's flying up. So if you can lock a couple shares of them in now, that seems like smart uh, team building to me. And also those breakout, you know, things. I found a number of situations. Like I kind of mentioned the Zach Levine one earlier. Like there's a few examples of guys just, early to mid twenties, just get better. And it's like, they've been kind of consistently, you know, maybe a mid round guy for a few years. And then it's like, all right, turns out Zach Levine's actually figured it out. Now he's a good basketball player. Um, you know, there's a couple of those, like, you know, Lonzo ball, you know, changing teams there. You know, this guy was a number two pick and he kind of settled in. I mean, he did end up getting hurt, but he was really good, you know, and, Brandon Ingram followed that same pattern. Um, was Ingram a number two overall pick in the draft? I, I can't remember exactly, but he, he was, was top three high. for sure. I think he was number two. I think he was two. Yeah. yeah two right, so he was, and you know, people were kind of like a little lukewarm on, I mean, he was okay with the Lakers and then he went, uh, you know, to a new team and blew up. I mean, so Lonzo was a guy that I was kind of on a little bit because of what Ingram did. It's like, that was, a profile of a player that had broken out before like Ingram in the exact same scenario as Lonzo broke out. So I was like, I wasn't really on Lonzo at first, but once I saw that, I was like, you know, I'm going to draft this guy at least once or twice. Hey, it was cool while it lasted <laughs> until he's had this almost year long meniscus injury. Um, but like, there's kind of some, you know, characteristics like that, you know, where they, that's, that's the type of stuff I'm trying to figure out. Like, who who might fit that bill this year, you know? Um, and I, I, fig, I you know, I, I have probably like 15 or 20 profiles of breakouts that I kind of plan for. Like I've said, that's probably the next step in my preparation for this year. Um, you know, and I can think last year, I mean, it would have had me on John Morant, DeJounte Murray, Cole Anthony. I mean, like, these are situations, like, that's another good one. Like, just a terrible team like the Magic last year. And maybe like the Spurs this year, someone's about to really exceed ADP on the Spurs. Sure. Who would be? I mean, <laughs> you know, like a few names out of a hat. But one of those guys, I guarantee, will be looking at like DeJounte Murray. Maybe not that good, but, you know, ahead of where they're being picked, I would be willing to wager on that. Definitely. I mean, there's a lot of usage to go with. There's a huge usage vacuum. So, uh, no, I, I'm totally with you. All right. So, ding, ding, ding. Now we got to get to the uh, the Kumite portion of, of the pod. Um, you and Rocco. Okay, so we're going to go into a few of these guys. I mean, this draft was was freaking stacked. Zara Gosens, you know, up on the money leader list. Uh, Gasowicz is, you know, he, he's, he's up there. I mean, he's probably on Wong's level. I would, you know, he's number two in all-time winnings. But, you know, Rocco, Giuseppe Rocco, he won the Rad Jam last year. He won the draft champions overall. He basically cleaned the streets. Um, and, you know, I was fortunate enough to be able to you know, message both 
uh, you, Eric, and Rafa at the same time in this draft. So it was really cool. And the interesting thing is, like, your styles and, and MOs are completely opposite. Like, so he's all about, you know, the, the stable floor, the minutes are gold, you know, the old guys. And uh, you're, you know, you're more the, the you know, leaning towards the pedophile uh, end of the spectrum. So, um, you know, we got to fight here, right? Because, you know, both of you guys are very successful uh, in your strategies. So, uh, so let, let, let's hear, let's hear some, uh, some talking shit about Rocco here. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm here for this. So what, what episode was Rocco again? Was he 41 of the? It was like 41. Line? It was a few episodes back, yeah. <laughs> yeah. People have to listen to that. So I listened to the Racco podcast probably three times. I was taking because you are right. Rack, Racco was the king last year. I was good last year. I'm happy with my season, but not as good as Racco last year. And neither was Curtis, neither was Wong, neither was Maria. Racco was the king yeah. last year. Um, so we got to give him credit where credit's due. But I couldn't believe what I was listening to during that podcast. <laughs> That's just it really is totally different than what I do. And the fact that this is what he does and that he's still that good really blew my mind. And that's why I went back and listened to it so many times. I was like, I just can't believe this is what this guy does. So he's looking at total stats. Um he says, I don't even look at per games. I was just like, my head was already like, oh, yeah, my, my gosh, what am I about to listen? <laughs> and then he's like, All right, I sometimes go back three years. Um you know, he's talking about, like, Royce O'Neal and stuff. I mean, if, if I'm drafting Royce O'Neal, who might have been, like, kidnapped or something like that. <laughs> not that I have anything against him. I'm just, that's just not how I play this game. Yeah. You know, and, uh, yeah, I mean, he he is doing a lot of the stuff that when I am going well, I am doing as well. Like, you know, staying super plugged into all the basketball media. He's listening to everything. He's got, he mentioned he's listening to Dan Vesperus podcast. I mean, this is like, yeah, I'm doing the same thing when I'm really invested. I'm like eight podcasts deep, you know, out with my dogs and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Racco, I mean, we got, we have to talk about this most recent draft with Lloyd Dix on that <laughs> podcast. I was dying laughing, you know, he's saying, Rudy Gobert is one of those guys, you know, I'll just, I'll just never take him. I'm just laughing at people who would take Rudy Gobert. It's just kills your free throw percentage. And then what does he do? The first draft, he just taps Rudy Gobert. I mean, I was starting to think already, did Racco just, like, do that whole podcast, throw us off descent? You know, what he's really doing? And then I was also laughing a couple other times, because this, this guy's saying, I look at total stats, and I sometimes pull in the stats for the last three years. I only look at games played. I, if I don't do that, I'll get players I don't want. Um, this is how I prepare. What does he do? Malcolm Brogdon and Thomas Bryant. I mean, have these guys played more than 15 games in the last three years? <laughs> like, what's going on, big guy? Um, couldn't believe it. I mean, Racco's, Racco's uh, obviously a great player. I mean, I noticed as the draft went on, you know, we're in rounds 15 to 20. Oh, yeah, he also... And I, he also said, I really try to crush rounds 13 to 18. He says, that's where I bank on being more prepared than everybody else. I'm going to get guys who are playing. I'm going to get guys who are contributing. And that's, that's where I'm really going to kick your butt. Um, <laughs> so I've been calling that the Racco zone. 
you know, round 13 to 18. Like I see the round 13 start and I'm like, okay, Racco, let's get it on, friend. Let's go. I am looking directly at Racco's team the whole draft, uh, trying to get better players than him. I really want to beat him. Not just in these leagues, but in those rounds. Definitely. Um, and I, well, he took he took I, Royce O'Neal in round fourteen, so you I mean you already lost. Again, <laughs> yeah. Royce O'Neal's gonna finish number sixty five overall in the total stats on Basketball Monsters. That's <laughs> I will have never wanted to play. I added him a few times over the years, and I'm just like, I just can't put him in even one week. I just drop him. A couple of guys I'm a little better with, like Danny Green. I can actually play him sometimes, but. Royce, I just can never do it. Um, but I could tell he's already locked in, Racco. Like, rounds 15 to 25, almost every round, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I was I was, I was, going for that guy. It got me fired up a few. Larry Nance at that point. I just did not think he was getting picked. Racco took him, I believe. Um, but it's like, that's what these drafts are like. Like, it's, it's not just someone clicking ESPN auto-pick names. It's like, you got several guys in there that are super prepared and ready to roll. Um, you know, so it's a lot of fun. But yeah, I, I mean, Racco needs to come back on and explain how he ended up with Brogdon and Thomas Bryant looking at total stats from the last three years. I'd love to hear an explanation <laughs> of that. Well, you know, um, I, I, I did give him shit about it. And, uh, you know, he did kind of play. He, he, he wasn't crazy about the Brogdon pick, but his logic actually made sense because, uh, you know, he was kind of like some semblance of floor, but then, you know, he's also looking for upside too, right? So he's not a complete, like, Royce O'Neal, like, has to be every type of pick, right? Um, you know, I think there has to be kind of like uh, some sort of diversification of the risk profile uh, in the portfolio. So his thinking on Brogdon was like, you know, I remember he was like, he wasn't crazy about it, but his thinking was, you know, maybe he becomes like the main six guy option there, right? And, you know... Uh, he has some sort of injury history, so, you know, he kind of have to discount that. But, you know, he felt like the upside in that particular type of role uh, might have, you know, elevated, you know, in terms of where, you know, he was drafted. I don't know. Well, you know, that that was his logic. Whatever. I don't know. 10th round? I'm not sure. The the Bryant one, I, I think I'm more behind the Thomas Bryant one. Um, and, you know, he, like I was like, dude, like, you know, what's up? Like, you know, I, I hate that you took Thomas Bryant there, right? Because... <laughs> Um, you know, you obviously, you know, are plugged in with everything. And so basically he was like, you know, I, I think he could be like a top 130 player. Right. And, you know, it, and it kind of made sense. Right. Because there's so much uncertainty with that situation. And, you know, like, as you were alluding to earlier, um, you know, kind of probably devalued from the recency bias of his play last year. Right. You know, he's proved that he can play. And, you know, I mean, if he does become named the starter and he gets 28 minutes per game, you know, I mean, that's going to be huge, right? Playing alongside, you know, LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So that one, I, I definitely understood that one. The Brogdon one, I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't crazy about the Brogdon one, but um, yeah, the the TB one was was kind of interesting. The I, the pick that he loved in that the Rocco zone was Karis LeVert, and I really like his thinking yeah. on that. Yeah, I really like his thinking on that one because he's like, you know what, like LeVert has standalone value, like he could he could be close to a top 100 player in the role that he's currently in, but he has Darius Garland. So he was kind of like a handcuff situation. And so right. if by some chance Garland goes down, 
Levert's going to get most of that usage, right? And so um, that would elevate him from his draft slot and also kind of, you know, give him some sort of insurance uh, to Garland. And so uh, that was really, you know, illuminating the way that he, you know, he was kind of thinking. He also went, he also got Chris Paul's cuff later in Cameron Payne. So, you know, a lot of times, in a way, he's kind of thinking like you are. Like, if this guy goes down, who's taking the usage? Uh, he kind of approached it more as, like, from a handcuff perspective. Um, but I, I do think that he kind of thinks of a lot of situ- – I guess he thinks a lot, like, situationally, uh, not just individual players, which I think you do too, um, which is which is really, really insightful for me because a lot of times I'm so focused individually – that, you know, I have the blinders on where I need to expand kind of like my horizons a little bit. Um, so, yeah, so give me your thoughts. I, I want to hear more talking shit about Rocco. So so give me your thoughts. <laughs> I mean, you know, on the balance of it, his team, you know, like he does have probably mostly ascending players. Yeah, like, you know, 26 or younger. It's like he did, he did do his – usual vets thing. I mean, I mean, some of his teams last year, I just look at them and I was like, yeah, this guy just drafted, uh, you know, the nursing home out here. Like, good luck. (laughs) But like the genius thing about what he does, honestly, is that he, he's not just taking any old guy. He is taking the old players that are able to stay on the court. And as a result of that, produce those, um, you know, large total stats because yeah. what a lot of people are doing is using like an age model and essentially like just discounting players because they get older um, or just projecting some statistical drop off just in general. Um, and I know I'm just given the choice. I'm just kind of not trying to those. It's like, I mean, I would, if it was a huge difference in value, but like, like Durant, I mean, that was like one that I took, but I just thought he was the next best player there. So, um, but what Racco's doing is he's, he's not just taking any like 34 year old player. He's taking the ones that are able to stay on the floor and produce. It's like, that's a great way to figure out if something's going to happen again, as if it happened before, right? Like, you know, the, the guys who are playing and producing and giving you those big total stats are probably going to be able to do it again. Whereas, like, you know, this is a, a dated reference, but, like, Kevin Martin was a guy, you know, who could, like, put up top 30 stats, but he just would get hurt yeah. for 45 games a year every season. So you that was a guy, like, every season you're like, all right, where do I rank this guy? Like, 35 for, like, 125. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas I feel like you can just – if what Rago's doing is getting players who just stay on the floor, who produce and banks on them doing the same thing again. Um, and it's smart. It's a better way to look at it, to look at these veteran players than to just say, well, they're old. So they all have an equal chance of falling apart. They don't. Right. And that's kind of what, one of the things I learned from Racco being on that podcast was like, I need to be a little more discriminant about fading these old guys. Like if they're playing every year, 70, 75 games, you shouldn't just predict that this is going to be the year they're going to fall off a cliff. I should be drafting them like how Racco is. You know what I mean? So yeah, that was a lot one of, of the Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. for sure. Because a lot of them get, you know, devalued and you can get them, you know, pretty cheaply. Uh, you know, Royce O'Neal, 14th round, you know, not exciting, but, you know, solid, right? If he, if he puts in top 75 production, it's not bad. You know, you, you know, it's interesting. The one thing that you said 
uh, to me, which kind of got me thinking a lot was, you know, I was kind of like chiding you or kind of poking, poking you a little bit in terms of, you know, your different philosophies, uh, you know, between you and Rocco. And, um, you know, my question, I remember my question was like, yeah, don't you feel like some of the young guys, like it's a little too risky because, you know, the floor and, and things like that. And you were like, no, nah, I look at it completely different because I feel like the old guys have more risk because, you know, there's more downside to them, right? Like they could get injured or whatever. Uh, they can, you know, drop off in production and like, yeah, I, you know, like I didn't really think about it like that. You know, I was kind of like, all right, you know, their floor, they'll, they'll, they'll you know, remain the same. Whereas, you know, you kind of look at it as like, yeah, I mean, the young guys, I mean, their risk of, you know, injury or, or in terms of like uh, mileage injuries and things like that is, is is limited, right? Because they don't have as much wear and tear on them. And the upside is so much higher uh, than them. So like, yeah, that was... It was really interesting the way that you, you know, presented that. And, uh, you know, it definitely got me thinking. But now it seems like Rocco's kind of infected your mind and, and kind of had you, you know, kind of, you know, incorporating some of his stuff. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I think that self and anybody else would be absolute idiot if we didn't listen to Rocco and take in some of what he has to say, just given how successful he is. Um but I still stand by what I said. I mean, there's a number of paths to these old guys, you know, giving you less than you want, you know, just sitting out more games than you want, falling off the cliff. Cause like, yeah, okay. If Jimmy Butler stubs his toe, I mean, that guy sits out for two or three weeks, right? Whereas like, you know, your 20 year old guy trying to like earn his first contract or just make the rotation isn't going to sit out for any right. right and then there's also things like rest right like well who do, who's tends to sit out games just totally at random you know because they need to be healthy for the playoffs well that's older veteran players um another thing is uh yeah just age-related decline in production um you know another factor is if an older player you know starts to get outplayed by a younger player the team really doesn't have a huge degree of desire to go back to that older player. I mean, they're thinking, Oh my gosh, like this guy could be our player for the next five years. Um, And that's another reason why, you know, we were talking about prospects and athletes and stuff like that earlier. I want guys that are highly rated prospects, maybe even high draft picks, um, super athlete. Like I want like seven, three wingspans, like, you know, cause like, given given the option like if those guys can get on the floor and actually do anything the teams are going to be thinking oh my gosh we need to get this guy more involved we need to keep him in the room like who can we trade right now or like who can just ride the you know is there is there any way we could just get this other guy in front of him out of here because those are the guys that can become nba superstars right so if you're if you have just a team of like you know nasir little and you know trey murphy and zyre williams and stuff like that i mean it's like that's who that's who these teams want to succeed they you know they're looking for these guys to take over these jobs and if they they're they're essentially flyers for the nba teams too so if they're getting anything out of them they will try to roll with it um you know and and i kind of also mentioned i think this also still works later in people's careers like carmelo anthony was a great pick last year you know like he was just someone people oh the 20th round whatever carmelo anthony is the only guy i've even heard of left 
you know? And then it's like, I had him in, I think, just one league. I think I played him half the season, right? But that's a top, you know, just athlete, you know? It's like these guys, Harrison Barnes, Eric Gordon, like, they they still have something to offer on the court just into old age just because they've got something about their physical profile or their skill set that caused scouts to notice them, caused them to get picked high, and caused them to still be able to contribute when they're 34 years old. Um, so I also want these top, you know, athletes or prospects or draft picks even later in their careers too. And for those guys, I mean, I'm talking after round 20. I'm not trying to draft Eric Gordon and those guys early, but you Eric know, Gordon, route 25, route 25, baby. <laughs> you know, according to the NFBKC website, he's the starter for the Houston Rocks. I don't know if that will really materialize. But yeah, it does, I'm, I'm not feeling nice it. Thing. I'm not feeling. <laughs> <laughs> you know what for, for Gordon though could he give me like you know five to ten scoring periods where I just put him in like I don't know what if uh you know Jalen Green sprains an ankle or something like that you know or he's a guy I mean his salary is a little bit prohibitive but he's a guy who could end up on some actual good team you know playing like a six-man scoring role still you know I think people like him and want him in the NBA so could I get him in at all? I mean, that would be better than most 25th round picks. I mean, last year I was taking Kawhi Leonard in the 25th round every draft. Uh, and my thought process was, if I get one week out of that guy, that would be <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. It makes sense. I mean, especially down that deep in the draft, you know, like, yeah, if he does start, I mean, you're gold, right? That's it. Yeah, and he, he won't be playing a lot for me, but just could I, you know, hey, maybe he has a lot of games some week and someone's hurt. Eric Gordon. I mean, people people were adding him in online leagues last year. You know? Yeah. Probably didn't work out too well for them. The thing with him is he can't play. So it's yeah. like back to back, just forget it. You know? <laughs> but yeah, I don't have high hopes for Eric Gordon, but 25th rounder, let's see who else in that round does better. You know? Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. All right. Let's transition to our uh thirty team Dynasty auction salary cap auction league. Um, man, that was so much freaking fun. Uh, I just had a pod with Joel about it. So, you know, everybody knows my thoughts and perspectives, you know, on that. So I wanted to hear your perspective, the way that you approach going into it and, uh, just, you know, your overall thoughts and experiences, whether it be, you know, auction insights or advice or deep league advice or just you know whatever yeah just the 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 floor is yours yeah okay so i i you did i heard you mention on that but i've never you were talking about me i have never done a league that deep before that was my first time doing anything remotely that deep um i do think that i was somewhat aided in my preparation by i was already getting ready for these 25 round draft leagues um, you know, so, but the 30 team auction goes even deeper than that. But, um, I would say that I, yeah, I, I was, I, I guess I was pretty much ready for, for going that deep. Um, especially the way that I approached it where I did not get into the $1 guys. I kind of wrapped my team up with about, you know, eight or $9. Players. So I was out with players that I direct. So my thought process with this was, you know, I don't necessarily care 
about year one. I mean, I suppose it would have been possible to really focus in on winning this year. Um, but I think that that would have really entailed like essentially sabotaging yourself for the, for the future. Um, again, I want, I wanted young players. So I, I was, this was kind of my thought process going into it. We have to extend our players after two years. You can extend your players for five years at right. their current salary. Right. So that was, I was drafting with that date in mind in two years. Am I going to want to extend these players and are they going to be considered good values? Um, so there's a lot of great players in the NBA right now and people paid a lot of money for them in that auction and they are worth it. And that's great. Um, but what my thought process was, I'm looking for players that like, I don't, I don't think you win a 30 team league just paying for what players are actually worth. Right. Yeah. I need to be getting players that are on lower salaries right. that are way exceeding salaries. So I did not want any of those top players. Um, you know, and like I went on like the Bass Fantasy Reddit and like someone's talking it, it may have been about this league. And it's like, you know, with a with a shallow with a deep league you want to get these star players because there's fewer of them around. And I think a lot of people went into the draft with that mindset. Like I need a star player because some teams are going to get locked out of them. I mean, I was looking at this like, I, I am not paying. Like, I don't even want to get involved in this. What I'm hoping for is that I can draft players who. But I'm paying twenty five dollars for instead of fifty or sixty or seventy, right? So, um, you know. I didn't want a single player that in two years that I, I was going to even be paying market value for. And anybody that, you know, so so I, I'm essentially looking for, will my players exceed what I paid for them in value by by really two rounds? That's kind of like a Rotoviz lesson, a lesson that I try to go by um, as well. And um, so like even like I ended up with Alonzo Ball, right? Now, that pick could blow up in my face because this knee injury looks pretty suspect right now yeah um but i think i think he was something like the 97th highest salary in that draft so i mean i kind of look at it like this like lonzo's like career would have to be basically over right now for him not to be worth that dollar value like what if he got what if he comes back even in march even next year for all i care um and then he's back to being in the top, you know, 35 or 40. And I got him as like the 97th highest paid player. Like that seems like a worthwhile pick. And he's only Lonzo. What is he? 25 right yeah, now. Mid so that's a guy I could extend. Yeah. I could extend him for the full five, wrap him up around age, what, 33, 34. And it's right. like, that seems like it could be a, a, like a positive value contract. You know, I was able to get Jabari Smith. He's 19. Um, he looked a little green, you know, in the summer league so far, but the numbers were okay. Um, and that's a guy that I think in two years, people could be looking at him like, well, how did you get this guy for $26? Like, that's yeah. sweet. Uh, you know, and I think that that's the type of pick that people are going to be looking back in two years, like scrambling, you know, getting rid of, getting off of like, Chris Taps Porzingis or something like that, being like, well, why didn't I get these guys? Kaminga was another guy. So I mean, I've got these two 19-year-old forwards, I mean, which is, it could be a little gross for this year, but 
I think that when it's extension time in two years, um, you know, I mentioned Kaminga earlier. He put up stats, you know, reasonable stats for a month and a half, two months, something like that last year when he was 18. So, I mean, I think a couple of years from now, people are just going to be like, oh, my gosh, I could have had Jonathan Kaminga for $22 for the next six years. Um, I just think that that's a better allocation of money um, than going after these stars right now. Um, and, you know, no one likes to kind of think like this coming out of a draft, like everybody loves all their picks. But it's also true that some of those guys that I picked aren't going to work out. Right. Like, you know, they're pretty much all like flies. Like I got Trey Murphy. Uh, Moody is on that team. Um, I took Shaden Sharp from Portland. Like, that's what I mean, who even knows? Like, when we'll even see that. Um, you know, so it's like some of these guys won't work out and I could end up. Well, I could end up even cutting them, you know, because I also spent the full salary like almost everyone did. So, you know. I might have to cut, like, I don't know, what if, like, Colin Sexton just, you know, now that this team's actually good, he doesn't have as nice of a role, or maybe he just leaves Cleveland. I don't know. Like, I spent $20 on him. I think he could be worth about that. I don't think he'll greatly exceed that price. I mean, so it's like some of these guys will probably just end up being, like, cuttable or movable or something like that so that I can kind of replenish the team. But then what I kind of think will happen is I'll get these, some of my young players will hit and they'll be like highly sought after. That's kind of what I'm hoping. And they'll either be part of my, you know, championship aspirations or guys that I can flip for just like, you know, all sorts of picks and stuff like that and just kind of keep it going. Um, but yeah, I mean, I need to get this team competitive probably in the next couple of years. I mean, I'm not sure how it will perform this year. I mean, like Lonzo would probably have to come back. Um, but I do think like a couple of years of development for these guys, like I feel like I got some of the like top up and coming prospects. Some of them will hit, some of them won't. Um, but I think I'll be looking pretty strong when it's time to extend these guys in, in two years. And I think some of the other teams that went a little older or more stars and studs and duds um, might be feeling like they're in shambles where I'll be feeling like, well, I've got seven guys locked in at great value. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah, no. I, mean, kind of, I wanted to be in a position to have that happen. Yeah, no. So I mean, it, was, kind of my... it was great. I mean, your contracts are great. Like Basically, in terms of allocation of money, that's pretty much exactly what I wanted to do. Uh, I wasn't able to execute the end game as much as you did because uh, you know i wanted to try to get like all ten dollar guys from my bench and kind of win that way but i had to end up paying up a little bit more for some of the starters so uh but like yeah money wise budget wise it was pretty much like that's how i envisioned my my, my squad i'm really impressed with the discipline and kind of like the strategy and foresight of it because it was your first time uh, in a deep league option, right? And, you know, I've had some experience with them, so I kind of knew what to expect. I think a lot of other people that, um, you know, kind of save their money, you know, they've experienced it too. So, you know, the fact that you were coming into this kind of blind uh, and you were able to, you know, have that strategy, I was I was really impressed, man. It's, uh, you know, because, you know, I mean, 
you know, t- people, they get caught up in the excitement in the beginning, you know, it's like, it's too much, it's too much for them to handle, you know? <laughs> but you're, you're disciplined from the beginning to the end. It was great. Yeah. Well, well, thank you for the kind words. I mean, and I did mention to you, I have done a lot of fantasy True. football auctions. Right. Um, and like, right, you know, with fantasy football, I mean, I got to the point I was probably, you know, pretty competitive play and just redraft, you know, snake drafts. Um, and then we started doing auctions, like just my friends, you know, and I would say it's a pretty competitive league. Like we're paying, we're paying $250. We're taking it seriously. We've got serious owners. Um, and, uh, you know, the first few times I was just like, I mean, all these, you know, uh, snake draft leagues really good. And then my auction teams were sucking, you know, so I feel like I took some lumps with this, you know, really doing like what I would do with the auctions at first was just bank on my ability to like win the waiver wire essentially. Like I would just get some real studs and then I just look at my league mates and in my head, I'm thinking I am just going to get very good creation job over you suck bags and end up with a championship team anyways. <laughs> and a couple times that worked, you know, like I've really just been able to thread the needle, but I mean, what I was kind of doing was either like winning the championship or finishing in like ninth right. place. Cause I just couldn't, get it together um and then i yeah i guess i just kind of like really thought about really the zero running back thing and i just need more wide receivers i just can't go studs i need like i can't have like the two best wide receivers i need like seven or eight good wide receivers you know what i mean so and that's when i started like just consistently rolling out when like really committing to zero RB, which feels scary first doing it. Like my running backs are like second stringers right now, or like rookies and you know, it's like it feels scary. You know, but then you have a bunch of them and then it works out every year. I mean, people who play fantasy football and don't do that, I don't know how you still play. But so I kinda wanted to do the same thing with this draft. Like I know yeah, I mean, I guess I could have gone out and got my favorite superstar, but then it's like, I, I just knew I'd rather be, like, having all these 19, 20-year-olds, like, on good, cheap deals um, that I'm likely to want to extend. That I, That's, if, 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 like, two-thirds of these guys are deemed to be extend, extendable, um, I really think that that will probably be more than most people in this league even without like prowling through the roster. I just think a lot of people are going to be looking at their rosters and being like, I don't want any of these players. What do I do? You know? Right. And I think that that's where my team will really be ascendant because they'll be, you know, rounding into their twenties. Some of these guys, mid twenties, um, you know, and maybe I can even flip some for even more draft picks and stuff like that. Heck, I might even get a good draft pick this year, you know, like one but one but Victor Victor Wim. <laughs> oh, you're mad. Sick. Um, but yeah, you know, I don't. I might. I really don't have a good sense for it. Like I said, I've never been in a league like this. I mean, I was able to get like a bench, you know, which some of these teams didn't. So I mean, maybe with the daily lineups, I'll be better than I think. But also, some of my guys just don't look ready. Oh, and another thing was the draft room. Um, and then the website that we're on have different positions. Yeah. So a couple of guys that were listed as centers on the draft room 
are not centers on fan tracks. So now I'm looking at it like, well, I probably need to just like re rejigger a couple of positions right now. Just a couple of like, I'm, I'm looking to make like maybe some minor trades right now, or Hey, maybe a major one if someone's looking to dance, but I kind of do need centers. Um, I think they're going to change. Like it ended up like only. I... Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. What's I didn't that? mean to cut you off. I think they're going to, th- I think they're going to change the, uh, or they add the, uh, multi-position flexibility, you know, el- eligibility before the season starts. So I, I, I yeah, I think it'll be uh, good. Yeah. I, I, so somebody was, yeah, some, I took Tillman. Yeah. Somebody was saying like fan tracks, they reset it and then they re-add all the positions like before the season starts. I don't know why oh, they do that. Well, so hopefully that, you know, that'll kind of alleviate all the concerns. Yeah. Okay, yeah, because I took Tillman and Zach Collins, and they were centers in the draft yeah. room. And then I get to fan track, which was only <laughs> Isaiah Stewart. So I'm like, well, that's yeah, not right. good. <laughs> <laughs> like, three. Um, if that ends up happening, I'll probably just go into the season and see how this goes. Um, you know, because like that, yeah, so that's totally like in my head. Every play that went up, I was like, would I – do I think I could extend this guy in two years for this price? That was what I was trying to ask myself. Okay. One guy, I mean, like, Shane Sharp, I just went for. And that was way more than I thought he was going to go for. I thought I could get him for, like, 11. I was thinking, oh, he's on the Blazers. People think he won't even play. <laughs> I don't know. Who bid me up on him? Yeah. Whoever you are. Because um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, that guy, <laughs> he, he was in the mix for the number one pick for next year yeah. at one point. That's how they were talking. About him, and then he ended up in the draft this year after under totally mysterious circumstances. No one's even seen him play. But I mean, that guy's high school highlights. It's like he's pulling up yeah, from fifteen feet. It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, he looks amazing. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But like, how? What? How was he on Portland? Like, how did he end up there where they have like eight guys ahead of him? It's just a shame of a landing spot. But I do think that there's a chance. Oh, I just feel like that guy just needs to see the court and people might be like, oh boy, like, here we go. This guy's going to be good. You know, and then people start getting traded. I don't know what the Blazers are doing. I mean, if I was them, I'd have Lillard out of there. You know, it's just like... Shut it down. It's wizard-esque. It's just like, what are you guys doing? Um, So yeah, that was kind of my thought. I mean, I was happy with how it turned out. I'll be even more happy when I see Center show up next to Tillman (laughs) and Zach. I think that happened. But, yeah, I mean, I, all I know about is that my team will be getting better yeah. just every year, every month, every season. You know, so it's like if I could somehow eke it into the playoffs as like maybe a lower seed, I, I'll probably be more dangerous than my seed. And I think if that doesn't happen, maybe it, these guys will be ready to go for next year. Yeah. You know, it's just it's such a young team all in like somewhat murky situations but like moses moody is a guy we've talked about a few times but i haven't really made the case for him like he keeps going to the g league and like he's not just good there he scores like 30 points a game and then he did it in the summer league and he's almost like kind of reminds me like of like brogdon a little bit like he's not a super athlete but like he can ball you know so it's like some of these Warriors guys, once they age out, like the superstars, like Curry and Draymond, um, if they hold on to these guys, I mean, you want to be involved in that organization because the owners spent 180 million luxury tax yeah. and beats myself and stuff like that. Just brutal. 
But it's like you want your guys in a situation like that where and like Curry's like gotta be the best star to play with. He just makes everybody so much better. Definitely. Um you know, part of the reason I took DiVincenzo in that other league, I doubt he'll be shooting thirty five percent on the Warriors, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, oh, so you wanted to, uh, you wanted to kind of, you know, uh, do I need, I need to open up the Kumite again for you and Joel. You, you had some things you wanted to say to Joel here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah Joel. Yeah, Joel, when I see you in the squared circle, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Joel. No, I, so I went back and listened to Joel's podcast because I, I wasn't too terribly familiar with him the first time yeah. you had him on. Now that I've done a league with him and I heard him talk about this auction, I went back to get. And Joel threw a little shade at, at my, my think He goes on the podcast. I don't know if anyone caught it. He goes, yeah, there was a lot of, uh, you know, what was his exact language? He's like a lot of, uh, you know, there was a Warriors premium. Yeah. Everybody was overpaying for it. And he's like, you know, he looked up at Curry for, you know, whatever he went for, 55. And, you know, Draymond for this. And then he goes, and Kaminga for 22 and Moody for six. And I'm bitch like the, the three players that he talks about getting overpaid were like on my team um the fact that he insinuated that i did it because i've got something for the warriors i mean that i was just like wow joel you're gonna do me dirty like that because you know i happen to be from massachusetts you know a lifelong celtics fan i really thought the celtics had the team this year i was texting wong who's a warriors yeah. fan if you didn't know like during the regular season still, I was like, oh, no, the Celtics are winning it, bro. I was like, I don't know if you're watching. They're taking it down. I love this team. Um, I thought they were, too. Yeah, and then the Warriors, they really did just, you know, send them pretty hard. You Thank know, you. that's just a real veteran-prepared team. So I certainly wasn't taking Moody and Kaminga because I, I love the Golden <laughs> State Warriors. <laughs> So I just want to clarify that for you, Joel. But I, in particular, the Kaminga pick, I, one guy at one point in the chat said he thought that was the best pick of the draft so far. And I was like, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I like, I, I forgot who it was. I, was. I sent it to Eric Wong. I was like, yeah, this guy knows what's up. Um, well, you see- Moody, I'm a little bit sold yeah. on. I mean, but I can see it. I, I like, I could, I spent 16 on him. I mean, there's a chance in two years that a lot of people are going to be saying, man, I wish I had Moody for 16 right. for the next six years, right, right. you know? So, and if not, that just cut his ass and find some other draft pick to play. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I but he seems like good side prospect. And, and cause also cause Curry's getting old. I mean, you know, it's like these guys could just clear out of the, the team soon and give my guys a big opportunity. That was another reason why I went after Grant Williams. Like he's got kind of a nice, low-key fantasy-friendly game. Like, his field goal percent's good. He hits threes. His free throws are good. He gets some steals, some blocks. And, like, Al Horford isn't playing forever, you know? So it's like, those were kind of situations I was trying to target a little bit, too. It's hard to kind of, like, think about Stephen Curry, like, not being in the NBA. I guess he could play till he's 40. But, like, is Al Horford going to be here for the next, like, you know, eight years yeah. is Curry. I guess Curry could if he wanted to. I mean, he is that kind of player, but you know, probably not. They probably these guys will probably retire. I mean, he's won four championships now. I bet. I bet as soon as they realize they're not in the mix, like for real, like when the Celtics really whooped their butts this year, 
<laughs> thinking about retiring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, the end comes fast. Like the, you know, it, it's it's a precipitous fall uh, after you know at the end of dynasties. So like I've I've experienced a a few with the Lakers. So I I kind of see how that works. Kaminga Wong was all over Kaminga, so that that's got to make you feel uh, a lot better with that pick. Yeah, he told me to get Wong and Zaire Williams. That was his two comments when I was like telling him about this. Yeah, because he was supposed to be in this league, as you know. Yeah. Um, he's off in the wilderness doing his thing right now, so he couldn't do it. <laughs> uh, but he's like, he's like, I'd go hard after Kaminga, and then he said something like, I'd go get Zaire Williams, and I did want Zaire Williams absolutely. Um, but this is a situation where it's like. You know, you can't get them all. I mean, yeah. it's like if I could do it again, maybe like I go just even younger, honestly. Okay. Like Sexton is 20. Yeah. Like, do I really want that? I, you know, too old. Let me get Zion Woods <laughs> instead of that money. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, you, I'm, a little you know like I'm a little surprised you didn't uh, kind of just go completely young and go for uh, Zem, for Victor. Yeah, so, you know, like, um, the the ball, Sexton, you know, yeah, so I'm a little curious. Well, part of me was, I, I wasn't sure how the rosters would really look at the end. Okay. I kind of quickly aware that a lot of these teams were going to have, like, six $1 players. Because, I mean, you were in that room, money was flying off the board. I was like, there's no chance these people are going to put on the brakes and just, yeah. like, have So I was almost thinking, like, I I have a chance, like, and, and I don't know. Like, I really, I haven't done a 30-team league, but I was kind of starting to think like this. Like, maybe I could even get in the playoffs. Okay. You know, I was like, maybe if I get, like, because, like, I just almost feel like I just have to be in the mix. Yeah. I, I'm really going for, like, you know, Sean Siegel would call it the permanent championship window, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I want to get there as soon as possible, right. and then I still want to be young. Right dynamic team to stay there and then maybe i start trading off of some guys like uh lonzo you know it's like you know but if i could probably if lonzo's back and healthy and i can lock him in for the next eight years of his career i think that's a very easily movable player for 24 or whatever i spent for him um someone will want that and i can be like hey give me some young player give me maybe a pick um so i feel like i could probably either just win with him if i actually am competitive or just that's the first couple of guys i'm gonna be reloading with True. you know um and then like sexton when i took him was kind of at a point in the draft where i hadn't got any players in a long time and another trap i found myself in in auctions is like um me and several other owners all saving too much money right. does that ever happen to you and then it's yeah few players left that you want and you're just like spending too much for them because like four other people yeah. saved all their money so, like i find that there's some value in an auction often in just like having a few players at reasonable prices that you're like comfortable with and not feeling like i have to have every single pick be like a home run so i was kind of in as a general rule trying to get a player every every 30 players off the okay. board um, just cause like I, I want, I didn't, I saw you saving money. I saw a couple other people saving money. Um, 
Dr. Z saved like yeah. hundreds of dollars. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I, I'm going to be in a bidding war for like, you know, Jared Vanderbilt and those kind of guys, you know? So I was like, I kind of want to just get some players in tow. Like Sexton is like, I just felt like that was like a fair price, not a great price. I almost wish I just took further two picks earlier for 18, like something like that. Like I view that as all like about the same, but I was like, all right, now I've got some money invested into this team. I'm not going to be in just a total, you know, knock down drag them out brawl for the last few desirable players um i i just feel like it gives you a little bit less of a feeling of desperation i can let a few players go it's not the end of the world i've got a roster already i've got players um so that's kind of what i was thinking but yeah i mean i was kind of thinking like i want to get this team competitive soon but i still want everyone to be on a good contract and young enough to contribute so i mean i'm not my goal isn't really just to lose for like five years and then <laughs> yeah, like yeah. i want to be winning yeah yeah no i hear you, you know? i hear you you know this uh, uh is smart the way that you but like yeah. well, go ahead i'm sorry but with the... go for it go for it sorry oh yeah i was just gonna say i mean with the like maybe i wouldn't have like got every exact player that i got but i mean i'm not like terribly unhappy with them even like lonnie walker for like eight dollars yeah. it's like oh sure he's fine but like towards the end when I'm like going for some of these centers and that did honestly catch me a little bit off guard just and I couldn't have been prepared for just the center premium yeah. like I thought I just and I, I just didn't think Hartenstein and Isaiah Stewart and Vanderbilt and all all of them were going to be like 14 Jalen Duran to 20 you know like Walker Kessler I kind of hope 15 bucks I was like man I thought all those guys would go like 10 bucks you know <laughs> Exactly. So I was, that might be, because I kind of thought, I, I kind of thought I'd be able to get a center or two and still get Zaire Williams, I guess. That was kind of like, and then I was kind of like, damn. I, now I was like, I wanted to be like, can I cut some of these guys already? <laughs> you know, get a little more fab. Yeah. No. You know? I, I mean, but, the exact same thing happened whatever. to me. I mean. Yeah, no, go for it. Yeah. No, oh, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, no, no auction usually don't feel like it went perfect. I, mean, I felt like it went pretty good. I was happy to get Trey Murphy there right at the end, you know, so like that felt as a nice way to cap it off. But yeah, um, yeah, at the end, yeah, I mean, you and Joel had the same discussion that was going on in my head. Jared Vanderbilt's the best guy left. I'm probably not going to be able to get yeah. him. So what the heck do I do? <laughs> and that was where I was like. First, I just threw out some garbage. I was like, all right, here's Evan Fournier, you know, and then I was like, no, I can't wait 24 hours to put some players I actually want on the board. So then I started just bidding and buying guys again. Yeah, no, it's the same, <laughs> same exact thing happened to me. The, uh, the center premium at the end really messed with me too. It really messed my budget up because I was on. I was on par for not the $10 guys, but my budget came out to like about $8, $8 per per player. So like, I think there's like five guys, five guys left. So I had about $8 allocated, but then I, you know, once the centers came up, I had to overpay for Walker Kessler and, you know, some other guys. And then that just took my budget, just killed me all the way down. And I was just like, like you said, like I wanted, I wanted Trey Murphy. I wanted Zayewa. I saw them down in the queue i'm like okay hopefully these guys don't, don't see him i was like ah nah. but then i realized that the room is too freaking sharp you know so everybody was waiting 
and they were, you know, hoarding their money for those guys. And then it just, I was kind of saying, oh man, I was disappointed. But it's a good point what you were saying earlier in terms of, I really like the, um, you know, kind of being involved every 30, you know, 30 players and just kind of doing it. And it really reminded me of like when I used to work orders, like order flow and stuff, like they would have this thing, uh, they would be like, there's what's called like the VWAP price, volume weighted average price, right? And so like some firm sends you a huge order and basically you're going to get paid off whatever that, that, that VWAP price is at the end. So basically you have to be involved. Like every time the stock trades, you need to be a part of that average, right? Because if like you could get risky and, you know, take a shot, but if you're wrong, you're fucked. You're going to lose a lot of money, right? So you have to be involved a little bit at every price, you know, whatever, every time point and whenever the volume was happening just to kind of stay close to it. Uh, so yeah, like that, when you said that, it just completely like, you know, I started remember remembering those things. And it's actually a very smart way to do it because it kind of keeps you in line with things and um, it opens you up to possible value when you're not expecting it, right? Like, you know, like the Kaminga, the Kaminga bid came in really early when a lot of money was flying off the board. And oh, this yeah, and he kind of got overlooked a little bit because of that, right? And so, um, yeah, no, so I, you know, I, I really appreciate like that that perspective because uh, not not something that I really, you know, thought about too much. So yeah. Oh, I wanted to ask you something. Yeah, I did notice. No, go for it. Go ahead. You you notice what? Oh, I was gonna say I, I had like a couple more guys than you towards the end because. I was kind of monitoring what you were doing because you had similar money to me and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I was kind of thinking. I, I was like, I'm happy. I only need like two more guys, and you needed like four yeah, more. I was kind of like as ball. it was careening towards. Yeah. The I had Murphy. I had Murphy um, lined up, and then I was right. And then I did, you know, read the Rotoviz article yeah. that about auctions yeah. where. They have looked into it, and values start to emerge typically in the sixth round. So, people, can you still hear okay, me? You're good. Like froze a little no, bit. You're good. Okay, good. Yeah, so people tend to spend and spend and spend through the first five rounds, and then their data shows that in the sixth round, values start to emerge in an auction. And I kind of view that as like, that's almost like a human nature thing, not necessarily just a fantasy football thing. So I was kind of cognizant of that too. And in this round, in this league, 30 teams, the sixth round is after player 150, yeah. you know, which is crazy. Yeah. So I kind of had that as a benchmark as well. Like around 150, I am, and I did this. I, that's when I gave up the, you know, player every 30 picks. That's where I start like trying to buy guys. And then, like, Trey Murphy, I did wait on I waited him out for, like, two days because I was like, I want to wait. I had $9 left, and I was like, I'm going to wait until there's no other bids over 10 on the board because I was like, it just seems, like, psychological. No one's going to go double digits if it's the only one up there. But if, like, some bozo is going for 11, you just, you'll bid 11 for Trey Murphy. So I, was, I did wait him out for a while. <laughs> And then, like, I, I made a decision to go for, like, Xavier Tillman, even though I'm not, like, totally in love with him, because I knew he'd be cheap. You know, I was, I was kind of thinking I might leave with cap space, even. And if he didn't work out, I was my next move was probably going to be Maxi Kleba, just, like, a veteran, like, just get me through the next two years. Yeah. Like, 
I'll take anything at that point. Yeah. I was thinking he would probably go for like four, five, six. You know, I was like, if even Tillman is priced out of this room, I'm just going Cleva. <laughs> After that, man, I'd have been digging my list. I don't even know what I would have done there. So I was close to like what I was prepared to deal with in there, if I'm being honest. Yeah, no, I mean, I was in there with you with Murphy, man. Like I had the money budgeted for him, but a couple bids earlier like i was just waiting i was trying to do what you're doing waiting for everyone to spend all their money and then i would have you know the, the, the kind of the quote-unquote big stack for him and but i had to spend a few more dollars on a couple other guys and it brought me down i was so disappointed i was like i was thinking about going to 10 i was gonna go to 10 but then i was like do i want the one dollar guy with trey murphy or do i want like you know it was like like two two five dollar guys or whatever and so, like, I decided to go to two five. So I don't, I don't know how that worked out. But my, I had a question for you. When you went into the draft, did you have like, did you break down certain like allocations per each position, or like there was a cap on, on how much you would spend for each guy, or no? Not at all. No? Okay. I had a list of probably fifty targets, um, mostly like. I'm talking like 23 and under, you know, athletic freaks or <laughs> highly rated prospects or high draft. All right. Um, just kind of like I did my projections. Once I realized I was going to do this league, I had a separate sheet where I was just like, yep, this is a guy I might get in that auction. Yep, this is another one. This is another one. Um, and I, I was just like, I wanted to be able to have fluid targets because that's another, I think, pitfall that people get into with auctions is they're like, I have to get this player. Do it in football. I have to have Joe Burrow. And it's like, well, that's a great way to lose yeah. in an auction because, yeah. like, you need to be like, all right, if if my player that I want gets just, like, totally, you know, bid up the, you know, totem pole, it's like, you got to just let it go, you know? Um yeah, so it's like I, I, I wanted to I didn't want to be married to any players. I mean I there were certainly some guys I wanted more than others, like Kaminga was one, but like you know, I I was for the most part just hoping to come out of there with like a roster full of young, you know, exciting prospects. Like didn't really care. I knew I wasn't gonna spend I didn't want to spend what anyone was worth. I actually did bid pretty high on some guys like Bonchero. I think I bid him up to like 35. Oh, wow. I was kind of okay. thinking, yeah, number, yeah, it was like a number one pick in the draft, yeah. right? And I watched him play in that summer. Oh, he looks fantastic. Yeah, he looks fantastic. I was kind of, I think if I can get a guy like that, I'll either win with him or I'll have no problem trading right. him. Cause I mean, 35, like, all these other top players went for like 50, yeah. 45, 6, or, or, and it's like he's a number one pick. Like, I just kept thinking in two years, he's just going to be looked at the exact same as these guys, but you'll be able, able to extend him, you know, for 15 or 20 less than these guys. That's going to be a highly desirable player. Like, is anyone going to be shocked if Benchero's in the second round in two years? Like, no. I won't be. No. Yeah, he looks you know, fantastic. Or at least the third. Yeah, and I almost think the same thing with Jabari Smith. Like, even though he doesn't look as spectacular, it's like he's also 19. Like, it just doesn't really matter right. yet for him. Right. Um, and that team, 
really set up nice with all those Nets draft picks. Um, so I think they'll be a good program pretty soon, and he'll be a big part of that. So that'll be nice. Um, yeah. So like, no, nah, I didn't really break it down like by position okay. or anything like that because I didn't even look at the like I'm trying to win right now. I was like, I just want good prospects right. that I can extend and like play or trade. Thirty teams. I was like, forget having a strategy or any coherent. <laughs> I was like, I just hope I'm happy with all my players. Right. I'll figure all that later. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's it's a it's a completely different animal. It's a freaking beast. But all right, man, we're man. Time flies when you're freaking having fun. Like it's like over almost two hours, thirty minutes, almost. Um, I mean, I could chat with you all day. We've been messaging freaking uh, every day, all day, and it's been fantastic. Um, I really want to thank you. Right. Yeah, no, I'm I'm truly humbled and honored that uh, you were able to set aside some time uh, to talk. I think some of the insights, like just getting a peek into your brain and how you're approaching your process. Uh, I mean, it's great for me. So helpful for me. I think it's going to be helpful for a lot of people. Um, you know, do you have any last words you want to tell the peoples out there? Um, no, I mean, hey, I, I want to first just thank you for having me on. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I've also enjoyed talking to you the last, you know, couple of weeks. Um, give me an opportunity to bust on Racco and Joel <laughs> a little bit. It's been a real pleasure. Awesome. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's been a blast. Um, so yeah, thanks for the opportunity for having me on. It also seems like we sorted out our technical difficulties yeah. about halfway through, yeah. which is nice. Everyone talked again. Uh, maybe we will have better luck with that stuff, but no, I mean, I think if I had just, I see, I don't know what, what people are looking for even exactly, but I think, you know, people are looking to be good fantasy players or if they do think they're good, you know, I just want to repeat again something we mentioned briefly. I would suggest have multiple teams, right? Because some of my some of my takes are going to be bad. Some of yours are going to be bad. Racco, Wong, like we're all going to make bad picks. I saw Curtis drafting Zion last year and stuff. Wong took him a couple times. You know, it's like some of this stuff isn't going to work out. And if you have one team, you may have prepared and you may be good and you may be really ready to roll and you'll never know it because you just have right. bad luck. But if you have 10 teams, you don't really go over like, you know, I think I had maybe Tyler Harrow in half my teams, but that was about it. Most of my guys, like even Evan Mobley, a guy was totally on from draft one. I had him in three teams, you know, because I just started moving it around. I think you want to have a portfolio. You want to have a process to rate these players and just treat it almost like, like your stock portfolio, you know, like. You don't have all your eggs in one basket because one injury will just tank you. And I think if you have a good process and spread it around, um, your skill will kind of rise to the top. So, I mean, that's a way that people get discouraged, just like have one team and doesn't go so well. So I hope that, honestly, more people will come and talk about what they do. I want Curtis on here. I want Maria on I'm here. I'm trying to get him. Um, wrong. Um Get Racco back and Joel back. I'd love to hear what he does or anybody that's having success. Um, you know, I have no, no problem saying what I'm doing just because, like, I know that to do what I'm doing is a lot of work. And, uh, you know, it's it's going to be if, if someone's willing to do it. Good luck to them. I, I, I'd love to talk to you, you know, like 
And anybody that can help me get better. That's why I like talking to Eric Wong. I don't ask him to tell me picks. I We talk about how we can make decisions, right? Um, and that's been a great, you know, friendship of mine, right? We're pretty different people, but we really like hitting off talking basketball and stuff like that. So anybody else that's good or has, you know, something that, you know, that, that I'm not doing that they have for me, I'd love to hear from you. And I think you should reach out to Stan Sun and get on here and uh, lay it out for the audience because we're all trying to get better and uh, win our leagues. So. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. That's that, that's an awesome way to, to sign off. I'm going to try. I'm going to try to get all these guys on there because, uh, you know, we've been, met, we've been talking about this. You know, for some reason, fantasy basketball isn't you – know, it's still niche, right? It's not great. It's not huge. The community is very small. And like, you know, like you're one of the best players out there. You know, no one really knows about you. Wong is the GOAT. Not many people know about him. But, you know, hopefully this can bring some awareness. And then more importantly than that, though, it's, uh, you know, just the knowledge, you know, like the insight, the experience, like all that stuff is just super helpful to become a better, you know, fantasy goose player. And I think that's, you know, that's the goal because when you're winning, it's more fun, right? So... First, yeah, it's such a fun game. I I agree. I'm surprised it's not more popular because I've been doing this since I was 12 or 13, and you know just have loved it my whole life. So yeah, but I that's one of the things I think you're doing a great job with is uh, you know organizing these 30 team leagues, these dynasty leagues, and connecting everybody. Um, Because a lot of people keep they don't want to spill their secrets. You know, you know Curtis is up there not replying to anybody's (laughs) emails because he doesn't want to know. Uh, Curtis, I, oh, it sounds like you're a little scared, so <laughs> we need to see, you know, we, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so thank yeah. you so much for your time. Yeah, I had a blast. On dude yeah, no, we're no. definitely going to chat again. Um, hopefully after I win the overall championship, the draft champions this year, then we'll talk. We'll do that, hopefully. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Then, then tell, I'll need you to tell me what to do, so. It'd be a good uh, year for us both. So yeah, yeah good luck to likewise. you and anybody else. If anybody made it this far, yeah, thank seriously. you so much for listening <laughs> and uh, good luck. That's awesome. Sure. All right, thanks again, Eric. Take it easy, man. Cool. Right. Later. Take care, brother.